either paint it or draw it or write it down, right? And then pass it on to somebody. They read what you're saying, and then they are re-experienced, and that's the only connection you have with that man. So you can't rewrite, because to rewrite is to deceive and lie, and you betray your own thoughts. To rethink the flow and the rhythm and the tumbling out of the words is a betrayal. That's a sin, Martin. I don't accept your... Uh... Catholic interpretation of my compulsive uh, necessity to rewrite every single word at least a hundred times. Guilt is the key, not sin. Guilt re-not writing the best that I can. Guilt re-not uh, considering everything from every possible angle. Well, how about guilt re-censoring your best thoughts, your most honest, primitive, real thoughts? Because that's what your laborious rewriting amounts to. Is rewriting really censorship, Bill? Because I'm completely fucked. Exterminate all rational thought. That is the conclusion I have come to. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Infrequent Podcast, Interzone Asylum Podcast, uh, run by the sole creator and recurring host, Jake. Uh, I'm rejoined by one of my older co-hosts he, who has returned this week, Phil. Hey, yeah, uh... Happy to be back, especially to talk about this. Yeah, we're, we're talking about Community, the NBC sitcom, which ran from 2019 to 2015, six seasons, and six episodes in particular, with three focusing on some of the most acclaimed episodes and three on the less acclaimed episodes, though I think this episode will devote more time to one than the other. Phil, you have, a little, you have more history with Community than me. I think you were the one who actually recommended it to me as even as an idea for this podcast at one point and i had oh, never watched yeah, it I think when you're talking like different ideas for uh tv shows that we could cover yeah um, just because yeah like i had already seen it a couple times at that point um and that's where yeah uh, re-watching it for this podcast i watched through the whole show i think for the fifth time <laughs> um so it's it's definitely uh one of my favorites and yeah, it's just very much because of the nature of the show and how it's constantly like doing homages to different uh, movies and TV. Uh, I just thought like a lot of the referential humor you would appreciate more. And because it's a lot more like story, uh, like kind of like meta story focused, then yeah, you enjoy it. So was this your first time watching it? I mean, I watched through it all like a few months back. And okay. yeah, so I rewatched these specific episodes for this though i had like mm -hmm. you know and just free time just had them playing some on repeat at times yeah but at first i was kind of weary of the show because you know like i hear it compared to big bang theory a lot like that oh, kind God. of yeah that empty kind of pop culture <laughs> reference type show that isn't terribly funny and mm -hmm. then when i started watching community it wasn't that i mean abed is clearly similar to Sheldon and his social awkwardness and his yes. pop culture references, but he's a more dynamic character than Sheldon and his pop culture musings allow for more dynamic episodes and genre bending within the show itself. It's not just reference humor for the sake of it. Oh, for sure. Um, and yeah, it's, it's also less like kind of quick offhanded reference humor. Um, like the, the reference is not just for the sake of a punchline it's usually for the sake of kind of outlining the story of the episode a bit more, letting them like play with some of the tropes. And I guess you could say like, there's an the idea of signs and semiotics that almost plays into the theme of the show and some of the episodes of how we, particularly with Abed and 
his pop culture obsessions, like the idea of ascribing meaning to these pop culture signifiers. It's like, that's a study in academic theory, the study of like semiotics and stuff. And it feels like that's a part of the show in a lot of respects. And especially two of the episodes, I think we were watching. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can bring them up when we, we get to them. Um, Well, it's actually the first two episodes. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, Yeah. I guess those are the most uh, heavily referential ones that we're going to cover. Yeah, and, like, all the characters are all very fun and memorable. They're all really well cast. I think the actors all really commit to their parts, even Chevy Chase, who hated (laughs) being on the show in a lot of respects. But at least Um, a lot of times it doesn't show through, thankfully. (laughs) Oh, no, that's one thing that I realized rewatching it this time. The first two seasons, because, I mean, it's a show that I've seen a lot at this point. Um, but there's always certain value in rewatching comedy. I would just be like listening to it on the side while doing something. Uh, and Chevy Chase would come out with his line and it would just catch me off guard, even having seen the show before. And I would just laugh. Some, especially some of, I think, like his first season jokes um, just still hit hard uh, and held up. I think I can understand why he wouldn't want like some of the writing because his character often is a punchline as just like. A, boomer, oh, sure. a, a racist, out-of-touch boomer, you know? <laughs> I mean, they, they have a whole episode where they essentially address that. I think it's in the, the first or second season where um, Pierce leaves the group, the study group, um, and then the, the study group realizes that they lost their lightning rod, and they're just <laughs> insults being blasted at everyone. Uh, because... That is one of the weak, the weak episodes we're watching. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Uh, oh, is that in the, the Art of Discourse? Yeah. So no, that that's just uh, like funny in the sense that uh, because he's the punchline to everything. Yeah, as soon as he's gone, the show I think has a has a good balance of act- of doing ironic meta humor and some sardonic mm. commentary, while at the same time treating the characters and stuff with the actual seriousness in terms of what their arcs are and what they go through, and actually having a heart of the show. And yeah. like I feel like it balances it well where it doesn't dip too over into just irony for its as a means to an end or just sappy sentimentality. It manages to strike a balance. I think I think like uh, it becomes that a lot of the story beats are more ironic, but the character beats are more genuine within those ironic story beats. Yeah. Because a lot of the story beats, especially when they're parodying pop culture tropes are, um, definitely treated with a certain ir- ironic detachment but with the yeah. characters and their relationships and stuff it's treated seriously like i think of the episode where annie and abed are playing with the what's it the simulator oh yeah the yes uh, the like dreamatorium uh, yeah and yeah. you know it's all playing it very funny because it's just this makeup shit in Ab- abed's head but at the end the way it's going through where annie has to find the real Abed and his insecurities and such Mm -hmm. and how they relate to each other. That's treated seriously, but how they go about it with the dreamatorium and all its made up mechanics is very much treated humorously. Yeah. And I think that's kind of just because of the nature of the fact that it's a comedy that's like referencing a lot of things. There's no way to super genuinely reference uh, a lot of the things in the way that it does without being ironic because like, you still want it to be comedic. So that's, but yeah, it's at least they're not always kind of uh, missing those character beats just for the laugh. 
they still kind of keep it grounded because it is still the sitcom. You still kind of want to have those happy character moments or like feel good or like uh, kind of pulling at your heartstrings at points because um, I mean that's what people expect from a sitcom. Yeah, and some reason I remember Dan Harmon saying that like he's like people sometimes compare Community to Family Guy. He's like I don't uh, I don't watch Family Guy, but my therapist watches. Family <laughs> <Guy>. <laughs> which is a pretty like, which is a pretty great line. Yeah, but, like, I can see like but like I mean Community and its handling of pop culture references. It never does those stupid cutaway yeah. gags that, where it's just a way to fill up time or just be like, Hey, I had this idea. Let's do it for five seconds. It's more then, about like weaving it into the story. Yeah. Well, entire episodes are like based around these pop culture tropes and ideas. So yeah, both big fans of the show. We set that up. I think it's a uh, pretty standouts in terms of modern day sitcoms. I think probably mm-hmm. out of all the modern day stuff, it's probably the one I've uh, over the past few months, I've grown, I've grown the most affectionate and appreciation towards a, the more modern day stuff that has la- had an impact. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I mean, as, as someone that watches a lot of TV comedy, the, it's it's a series that definitely stands out. Uh, and I think it's going to hold up for, for a good while. But yeah, if you want, we can hop into uh, one of the first three good episodes. Yeah, we can start with Abed's Uncontrollable Christmas. It's season two, episode 11. You want to give a just a quick summary of it? For sure. I mean, so yeah, the episode starts, I think the, the study group is meeting in the cafeteria. And obviously to the viewers, we can all see that all the characters are um, stop motion animated. And what is it? Uh, Abed reveal, reveals to the group that that's how he's currently seeing everything, that he sees everything as stop motion animated and everybody's kind of taken aback. And the whole episode revolves around uh, essentially the group and Duncan, the psychologist at the school, kind of trying to walk Abed through some therapy to figure out why he's seeing everything as stop-motion animated, all revolving around the theme of still being a Christmas episode. Uh, Obviously, stop-motion animation being a reference to your classic, like, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer Christmas movies and others like it, I'm sure. Yeah, the Rankin-Bass stuff. That's the production company that did Rudolph. They also okay. did Santa Claus is Coming to Town and uh, you know, all the other sort of TV staples of the holiday season. Not necessarily movies that I'm familiar with um, because they're they're not exactly ones that I grew up watching. I, uh, I staples did. enough, yeah. I had them on VHS and they would always play on those channels. You kind of mentally enslave yourself to yeah. <laughs> to watch that a lot of that stuff especially as yeah. you get older oh for sure just because they're christmas classics uh i mean some of them the christmas cartoons do hold up well but not uh, the ones that this one parodies i think in fact this is a better christmas special than any of those i would say oh for sure um just because I, I think it has a little bit more substance those were kind of just simple christmas movies from a simpler time. I don't know. <laughs> the mid-60s, the time of counterculture, are still giving us this shit. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Are those from the mid-60s? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Okay, uh, I don't know. I would have dated them as older, but I don't. Yeah, that's a uneducated guess. Yeah, so I guess we can get into the episode proper. Yeah, it starts with them in the calf where Abed uh, yeah, reveals they're all in stop motion. I guess we could introduce... Uh, 
yeah, just for new viewers, we can introduce the characters here. Abed is somebody who's uh, obsessed with pop culture. He's very socially awkward. He sees everything through the lens of it being a television show or something related to film. But yeah. the whole irony is that they are in a TV show, so he's the most insightful out of all of them into their situations because he knows the mechanics of what's going on. And whereas in real life, you probably see him as somebody who is maybe a little detached from how things actually work. But in the context yes. of a meta character, he is the most grounded and insightful out of them. Open up with how we establish that he is you know, seeing the world through uh, stop motion it's interesting because he's so obsessed with pop culture and because christmas is coming around of course he would kind of see it like that this especially because you know as we find out later there's a something in his life actually did result in him coming to see the world like this in this moment yes yeah, yeah. so anyway because of his pop culture obsession of course he would imagine it around the christmas season like this because it's and it's also interesting how he mentions that in terms of his religion, his family is Muslim, but mm. he still has an appreciation for Christmas. And it makes sense because Christmas is so widely represented in the pop culture he consumes. Oh, so, for sure. It's... So, of course, he would revere it in a way that he probably wouldn't even his own religion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think that's something that, like, is made clear about the character across several seasons is that, like, it's constantly brought up that his character is Muslim, but... I think his real religion is TV. <laughs> yeah, like what do we get up uh, set up here? We get that um, in the cafeteria scene. You get that Troy wants to play. He talks of fake murdering people in his video games as as a new tradition, which is ironic oh. because when he actually shows up in Abed's Winter Wonderland, he's like, "Cool, do I get a gun?" Because he's Troy Soldier. He's Troy he's like, Soldier. Yes, but no, okay. you get it. But you get a drum. He's like, "Oh, okay, that's fine." <laughs> Yeah, okay, no, I hadn't made that connection. Yeah, when they're like, oh, it's also clear to me that you're all stop motion and stuff, and Jeff's like, you know, Abed uh, does clearly mean the same thing to you as us, and then Pierce is like, it's Arabic for not clearly. Clearly. Right? <laughs> he puts up his hand, and Troy's like, you really expect me to tarnish the high five high for five that? For that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that sets up that Jeff is kind of like, his character trait is that he's kind of a vain, somewhat you know, hipster, not, he's not a total hipster type, but he treats everything with a kind of detachment. He never, he guards himself. He doesn't yeah. take much seriously. He's very sardonic and stuff. So that's, it's more, up. yeah, like on the surface, but what is clearly, like you said, just a, a defensive shell, um, to a very actually attached person. Yeah. Um, and Pierce is the out of touch racist boomer who, <laughs> tries to make everyone laugh but nobody finds his humor funny but he still has a foot in the group because he is that he himself is lonely because everybody else in the world would despise him as a person and yeah. but because the study group themselves are all somewhat misfits now cast despite a lot of them being attractive people <laughs> yeah <laughs> and like relatively normal people yeah some of them um or at least a little more grounded uh or at least they're people who have made bad decisions in yes. their life, and that's why they're at this terrible community college. Community college yeah. I found out Tommy uh, – this probably won't make it in, but you know Tommy Wiseau? Yeah. Apparently he said he graduated from a community college on the honor roll in psychology. I'm like, did he graduate from Greendale? Yep. Honestly. <laughs> oh, boy. That's the only place I think Tommy was so would ever be let into. <laughs> 
Oh, we'll give that man a degree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, he could be just making that shit up because his understanding of psychology just really shines through in the in the room. Yeah, at least at least it makes me feel better to know that it's not a degree in film. Uh, <laughs> Neil Breen has a degree in film. No, 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 Does he doesn't. He? No, he okay. doesn't. <laughs> like, good God. Oh, to me, it's just Neil Breen has money and time on his hands and <laughs> no innate skill. No, uh, okay, we're we're getting off. We're getting yeah, of off course. topic. Okay, we'll end this. Well, because this Annie says she's taking like a a relaxation course next term. She's like, I'm gonna do all the readings in advance for it. Just that little line obviously sets up her trait of being oh. over the overachiever. Yes, of course. And, and ironic taking a relaxation course, which she probably needs, but yet she's doing all her work for the purpose of relaxation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah, showing her character trait, but also just kind of getting that, the, the, the invert, like the subversion there. I mean, yeah, it makes for, it makes for kind of the basic joke. What is it? I mean, yeah, the, this episode's a little more like uh, plot driven because like every scene is kind of like Abed describing the next thing that happens in his like stop motion vision um so that's why like uh instead of like necessarily walking through the entire episode scene by scene uh are there any scenes that like you found particularly good or like jokes that hit well um especially in like the more stop motion in like once they're in christmas land and abed's kind of guiding them through yeah, it's sort of, well, it is plot-driven in the sense that the characters are actually going on a journey, yeah. right? But, like, it's character-driven that it is all taking place in one guy's oh, mind, sure. right? So it's deliberately yeah. playing on Abed's character, especially towards the end, is a very much a character-based mm-hmm. reveal. And I guess we could say the first big set piece is when he performs the the Christmas song in the style of the opening, <laughs> Oh yes, yeah. But, but, but then he, but then he uh, gets tased. <laughs> the answer sort of reiterating that, like, no, he's actually doing, <laughs> doing this shit <laughs> in real life. Yes. Yeah. Also, like a, a bit of a tangent, but I'm uh, a huge fan of animation in general. Yeah. Um. So, like the the switch to stop motion animation and having all of the characters just do voice acting for the episode is a really fun shift away from obviously their their normal live action. Um, that you just don't get in a lot of TV shows, obviously, like, a full, like, break from form. Yeah, which is something the show does several times. Yeah, it's kind of... I read that this episode actually won an Emmy Award for Outstanding animate, Animation Program. Oh, wow. <laughs> I wonder how the people who make just regular animated shows <laughs> felt about Feel that. Feel about that? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I also think that, like, it's... <laughs> This might be a bit biased of opinion, but like some of the people who are choosing the M- like the Emmy for best animated uh, like episode is, are, are not necessarily watching all of the animated shows. Like this is an animated episode within a popular like NBC TV series. NBC does not air animated TV shows, so like yeah, that's where of course it's going to stand out a bit more. Uh, so no, that's I'm not surprised that it got an Emmy. Yeah, I think it's after that. Then they go to um, yeah, they meet Duncan, who's John Oliver, who yes, like, who progressively just disappeared from the show. He was never one of the main oh, cast. Sure. He's never one of the main cast, but he was there more frequently in the early seasons. And then I think he left just to work on his own projects. So. I think, yeah, yeah, it's that like um, 
Because uh, I'm curious when uh, Last Week Tonight really started picking up. Because, I mean, they, they do heavy production for that show. Um, and that's, like, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver is his main show. And they're putting out, like, 20 episodes a season. They're several seasons deep. So um, I think it would just became probably hard to have him as a recurring character just because he was less accessible. Um, but he does come back a bit more in some of the later seasons. I like his role here as an antagonist. I think, uh, especially when he's doing vo- voiceover, his voice works for that kind of yes. prete- that pretentious kind of car- careerist guy who's who can feign these kind of aff- affected careness, but really he's just out for his own. Oh yeah, yeah. like he's a self-interested psychology professor. Uh, yeah. There's the recurring joke where he's just like, uh, as he's taking notes, jotting down what Abed is claiming there that everything stop motion. He's like, this is very publishable. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's like, oh, and uh, this is great to know, like to, to continue helping you, Abed, but very publishable. <laughs> yeah, and then they set up the the stake for the episode that if Abed doesn't come out of his delusion, they'll uh, yeah. kick him out of school, which can they actually do that? I mean, uh, it's more that, like, you see how the episode starts with him, like, frolicking around and jumping on cars while singing a song to the point where he gets tased by security. It's more, like, obviously the he is technically a, like, a liability and, like, there's property <laughs> damage that could be involved um, due to his delusion. So, like, I mean, yeah, schools can kind of kick you out for whatever reason for the most part. I think it's after that, then he starts singing his sad, quick Christmas song. Sad, <laughs> quick Christmas song. Yeah. It's funny because he he has an underlying understanding of how those songs function in the old Christmas specials. Oh, but now absolutely. he knows them. He knows them so well that he just reduces it <laughs> to the literal function of it in uh, the of lyrics. The, yeah, you're singing what the song is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> As in, and like, just turned- a little interlude between more important scenes. Yeah, and then he, yeah, turns out the snowman is Chang. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's always fun. I mean, oh yeah, I love Kevin Jung in the show. I uh, find it funny how Jin Jun, he's a uh, you know a licensed physician and everything. Yeah. And he has like this huge education and stuff, but yet he plays all these like ridiculous comedy that's, roles um, and everything. He's I doing. I never knew that until I watched his comedy special on Netflix, uh, where he talks about like being a doctor and deciding uh i'm going to drop my career as a doctor to go be a comedy actor essentially that's where he ended up in stuff like the hangover and then branched off into a bunch of other things well i hated him in the hangover maybe not just because of him but it's just because like that movie is like frat boy humor so it's of like course, yeah so it's like you know you have an asian guy saying suck my chinese balls the frat yeah. boys are gonna be like <laughs> it's funny uh-huh. because an asian guy said that in an accent and? like that's that's clearly yeah. why they're supposed to find it funny but at least in this show they don't ever i don't find they ever really play up the asian quality um, of chain. he's the only an, one I mean, who does is chang himself the character will always bring his own race into the picture um, just to be like, oh, are you guys being racist when no one clearly is? Or in the later seasons when he's uh, kind of, as his character becomes more insane, um, <laughs> then he, he's like referring to himself as Korean. And they're like, dude, you're Chinese. <laughs> racist? Like, <laughs> Well, like eventually he starts using his name to make terrible puns. <laughs> which the show acknowledges are terrible puns. <laughs> oh, uh, to the point where they're not even puns. Like... <laughs> 
uh, where he's literally just it, it starts ob- obviously like as as puns and stuff where you're like saying stuff like Changri and things like that but it devolves over time just like his character devolves and becomes like more insane um into like him literally just like inserting his name I- instead of a word Chinesia. Um, yeah Chinesia, yeah i'll say it's weird like when it turns out he's like you know you're fondling me you sin- you sinning mental case and then when Abed just goes to leave he's like how about some more work on that last button uh, yeah. <laughs> the last button's the one that would be on his crotch oh, yes yeah, yeah. signifies that well there's that meme or that gif that was popular of Chang in, in the classroom you know going okay yeah. like, what are the, like, and then like the last scene of the final uh, the finale so- he comes out as gay <laughs> He's just like, as they're all hugging, just, I'm gay. I'm for real gay. (laughs) Essentially one of, like, the last lines of the entire show. Yeah, Yeah. and then I wonder if that was all done to make up for the gay line from way earlier in the show. Oh, yeah. Like, it's one of, because, I mean, obviously, uh, that that episode was in season season two. two. Yeah, um, which I mean was what 2016 when the show ended. Yeah, yeah, um, or no, it's 2016 when the show ended. When was season two? Season two would have been 2010. Okay, 2010. Yeah, so exactly like back in 2010, uh, less people would bat an eye as you being like, haha, that's gay. Um, but I mean, like this show kept airing for several years after, and that's where you kind of see them like not necessarily walk back on that joke. Um, but definitely, definitely, like reuse it in a different way. That's not obviously him just keep continuing to go like, "Oh, gay." Um, it's it's a little bit more tactful uh, to not just be calling stuff gay. Uh, yeah, they get to the study room where they trick him and say the meaning of Christmas is in the study room. It turns out they just lured him. Everyone's just him sitting to- around the table in some yeah to try and like have a group therapy session. Yeah, and Pierce is like surprised and like. She's like, Pierce, you promised you wouldn't do that. that. Sorry. (laughs) It just kind of fits because, again, he's like, he has no grasp on the actual needs and likes of his acquaintances. Yeah, and he's just there for the cookies. (laughs) Yep, which he reiterates many times. Many (laughs) times. Uh, Until later in the episode where you actually get his kind of heartfelt moment. Because, I mean, obviously Pierce has more human moments uh, sprinkled in. Yeah. Uh, And in this episode, you kind of get that, like, Slowly, as the episode goes on, uh, more characters are, like, kicked out of Abed's dream, or, like, out of his Christmas land, or planet Christmas, technically. Uh, Uh, It's Christmas Winterland, but they're on planet Abed. Oh, they're on planet Abed, my bad. Um, But yeah, so they're slowly ejected kind of thing for either Jeff for being too sarcastic, um, like, for misleading him into going into therapy for... Or just, uh, or just not wanting to help him, really. Not wanting to help him in the way that he's looking to get helped. Because, I mean, essentially, uh, his whole purpose of going, like, bringing everyone on this kind of joint or, like, guided hallucination. I don't know what to call it. Because uh, <laughs> Abed is there, like, explaining everything that he's seeing and whatnot. Um, is that he he's kind of trying to go t- to find to the heart of like Christmas to find the the meaning of Christmas, um, which I mean we'll get back to the meaning of Christmas just because uh, that's uh, if you got that one more than I did. Okay, um, we'll get to that when we get to. to yeah, the yeah. As, uh, 
as we go on. But yeah, so I would say Abed actually does fill a similar role here that he does in Advanced Dungeons and Dragons because like mm-hmm. both he's the guide through a fantasy type. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Except here, the fantasy is actually literally in his mind and how they're yes. perceiving it. So it's a little more psychologically driven, if that makes um, sense for this kind of show. But I mean, that's the thing. Like, uh, the it's re- I find it really, really similar because that's the whole purpose of Dungeons and Dragons, especially the way that they're playing the game, um, is it's all played in what people normally refer to as theater of the mind. Yeah. Um, so whenever people just sit around a table and kind of coll- like collaboratively storytell, uh, everyone just, <laughs> kind of just has to imagine what's going on in their mind. It's just in this episode, you have a clear, because it's an homage to like the stop motion animated, you have a clear animation of what's going on. It's not just the characters kind of talking uh, and describing what's going on. Therapy session where they're going to use his, go into Abed's mind and on his journey to find the meaning of Christmas. Uh, yeah, they go to plant at Abed where... Um, he makes them all Christmas versions of themselves. Oh, yes. So like there's Jeff in the, the box. Yeah, Jeff in the box, uh, Britta Bot, Troy Soldier, Annie Ballerina, and Baby Doll Shirley. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, what do you think of all those identities? <laughs> um, I mean like what is it? So some like <laughs> I find it's Baby Doll Shirley that is the most jarring for me. Because the other one's kind of like um Brita Bot kind of looks like a, a classic there, old, like, plastic robot toy. You're very boxy with, like, circular eyes and stuff, though those old uh, robot toys. I mean, toy uh, toy soldiers are a staple of Christmas still. Oh, The and ballerina fits Annie's character a bit more. Yeah. Uh, especially, the yeah, I like the, the whole bit. It's because she's kind of like a wind-up ballerina, like, with yeah. the... Um, <laughs> You're fragile. Like, oh, do you think he made me a ballerina because I'm so pretty and elegant and it was like no i think it's because you're tightly wound and very fragile she's like oh as the, <laughs> the wind up goes around yeah yeah oh and teddy pierce too yes yeah, yeah. uh to, that's like i don't know i feel like the the less standout ones are uh baby shirley and teddy pierce jeff in the box i mean that's obviously a play on just it's that more toy. just for the pun than it is for the character. Yeah, uh, I kind of was thinking maybe like Jeff in the Vox, like as a wind up thing, because he always has to give the speech at the yeah. end of all the episodes. But like, it doesn't really fulfill here in terms of Jeff. So it's not more as, yeah, not in this episode. More for the sake of puns. But... Like Troy Soldier. It's just <laughs> more the, the clear pun there that they're going to run with. Yeah, and then Britta Bot, obviously, like, I mean, she says, yeah, I'm Britta Bot because I'm progressive and kick-ass, but That's really, it's, it's really, it's because she's just kind of just a pot, her attempts at being progressive and kick-ass are, like, mechanical and, and yeah. really half-hearted all the time. And, like, a little empty, yeah. Um, and then you have also Professor Duncan, um, wizard. who yeah, introduces himself as the, the magic wizard, Christ- a magic Christmas wizard. Magic wizard, that seems redundant. Yes, a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> I think baby doll Shirley, like, you know, it's jarring because at first she's like, even she's like, well, what the hell? You know, and she's like, you know, I know you didn't just imagine me as a baby. <laughs> you have more respect for me. I should be a Christmas angel, you know? Yeah. And then it's when like, I think she's the first one of all of them to get kicked out. Yeah, she gets taken away by the Christmas pterodactyl, yes. <laughs> activated with the push of a button. Which and... is just, I mean, Professor Duncan's reason, like reasoning within Abed's framework to eject her from the the therapy session. 
yeah, it's because she's like, you know, um, I know the meaning of Christmas, but hers because she's a Christian, but none of the rest of them are. So the Jesus, the birth of Jesus has no meaning for the rest of them. Oh, um, actually, yeah, I just didn't think of that until now. But I mean, the the baby doll kind of fits more into like the baby Jesus aspect of Christmas, um, which is, yeah, her whole point of like the meaning of Christmas is it's about the birth of the baby Jesus. And so, I mean, yeah, that, that probably makes more sense. Yeah. They also have the little, he says, Albert says, you'll be ejected Wonka style. You know, it's because, oh, <laughs> yes. you know, like in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, whenever the kid fails and they get thrown off, and then Wonka sings, like, a, mor- a little tune, a, a little moralizing song about why they failed. <laughs> they do that with, yeah, they do that with uh, Shirley. Characters, yeah. Yeah. Jeff, when Jeff bites it pretty quickly because he just wants to get out and sleep with uh, some random women and yeah. uh, the the humbugs <laughs> yes. um, which is a p- pun on the the descriptions of characters like Scrooge and the Grinch oh. but now but now it's these literal bugs that come <laughs> and bite yeah. sar- sarcastic sardonic people and they get rid of Jeff who doesn't even care <laughs> at all <laughs> the whole time that he's getting fake eaten by humbugs he's like oh no they're I'm, eating me I'm just a horrible guy guess I'm just yeah. gonna have to go get laid <laughs> he's just skeletons <laughs> so, what is that? I mean, yeah, that's essentially like a the the main thing is uh, what is it? You have uh, Professor Duncan, the who's kind of keeps trying to guide them towards what he's calling the the cave of frozen memories. Yeah. Essentially, <laughs> trying to like therapize out the event that would have triggered um, like Abed taking shelter in this delusion of a stop motion animation. And I I absolutely love the scene of. Uh, Professor Duncan, like, reliving his, his, like, oh, what is it, Christmas when he was, like, seven or something. Just because, I mean, I, I love uh, John Oliver's performance in that. I want to go to America with Grandpa! <laughs> yeah. It's always funny how he always he always exits the, the zip, like, through a zipper, and then you briefly see the actual study room, and he just zips I love that, yeah, yeah, it's, it's some good detail, he's always kind of just zipping himself out of, like, the veil of this Christmas world, um, but every time you can tell that it's the outside of the study room that they're in, um, but even the outside of the study room that you see through his zipper is all stop-motion animated, um, so it's, it's quite fun. There's a bit when, like, when they're walking through that area where the flowers are just singing Christmas carols, like, Silent Night, and then Britta tries to get all smug, like, you know, Jesus' birthday was in April. They moved it to December so the Christians could steal the traditions from the pagans and stuff. And then they all admonish her like they always do. But, like, I find that's a strange bit because, like, there is no real historical evidence for Jesus in general. So she's trying to sound like, I know the real. I know the reality, but again, it could be that is easily just another example of possible hearsay. Yeah, but I mean, it's here. I don't know. It's it's religion. You're talking hearsay versus hearsay versus hearsay. So, <laughs> yeah, but it's it's just the attempt of her trying to look progressive, but that could easily just be bullshit. <laughs> another piece oh, of bullshit. Oh, I, I like the the bit about uh, as they're going through all these singing flowers. Um, one of the characters makes a comment about how it's going to cost them a fortune. Uh, oh, for all yeah. the different songs, um, but he's like, <laughs> like, no, it's okay, they're all public domain. 
Yeah, they go to the Cave of Frozen Memories where Duncan has to leave himself because of the emotional turmoil Christmas caused him when he was a, a little boy. And then Abed says, like, this is useless. Initiate self-destruct, <laughs> which, which again comes back in the climax. And then, yeah, he Britta gets ejected because for lying to him, tricking him into the therapy session. Yes, yeah. And he sings that somewhat sad song about... Uh, you know, Brita, uh, how Brita Bot was programmed badly. <laughs> yeah, programmed badly. No, no it in herself or yeah. her friends. friends. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then that's the end there of Brita Bot for a time. And then they, yeah, they're on the train, which is so sort of like. Yeah, they, they eject from the Cave of Frozen Memories onto a train that would take them to the kind of heart of Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, which is a kind of like the Polar Express. Oh, of course, bit, yeah. You can say. I guess this, this, they sort of see the ultimate end conclusion when Annie says she, celeb- she celebrates Christmas because even though her she's Jewish, her dad was Piscicabalian, right? Yeah. Right, so that emphasizes how Christmas is enjoyed by people who aren't even... Yeah, uh, necessarily, uh, yeah, Catholic or Christian. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that denomination. So that kind of sets up the ending there, and then yeah, Duncan tries to actually get him, pull him out with the with the real truth. But Annie and Troy help him help him escape, and then yes, turns out yeah. turns out Pierce is still there because he admits like the holidays are depressing around. This yeah, time that's of year. what I was saying, uh, getting to earlier. The, that like you kind of get like some of those sprinkled in human moments from Pierce, who's usually like a, a pretty. Uh, jaded and like racist and shitty character um, where yeah he he admits that like because he's kind of a a rich loner who lives in his big mansion by himself um, that like yeah the the holidays are a little depressing so he'd rather be hanging out with them even if it's just in Abed's delusion uh, than he's not just there for the cookies wasn't it also that his uh this is in season one or maybe earlier in season two that they had a story where his mom died. Uh, I think that's later. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. But that happens around this time. So that also makes sense. Yeah. When they get to the, uh, the little house where the meaning of Christmas is, they open it and it's a season one of lost on DVD, yes. which like, was that an Abed specifically says it's a, it's a metaphor representing the lack of payoff. It's cause and it says so, like yeah, yeah. That, that's the one that I wanted to bring up because I mean I've never seen Lost. Um, Me neither. <laughs> that's yeah, the thing. So whether that resonated at all, um, I just know like everybody shits on the ending of Lost, which, and it was a problem because the show set up all these mystery elements from the beginning, yeah. and it failed to deliver on all of them, and not in even in a way that was like a Twin Peaksian, just like fuck you, audience, just like a you know. No, it was uh, the, like uh, my understanding was that they kind of set up these mystery elements, and then everybody kind of figured it out based on the like, uh, obviously the puzzle pieces that they had left behind, the little hints here and there, and then their whole idea of like a subversive ending was just to not give them what they had been setting up and what everybody was clearly expecting as the mystery, like to to just completely subvert away with that with no actual substance behind the. The reveal, it, yeah, that's yeah, and then Duncan shows up with the actual revelation that the reason why Abed has taken refuge in this is because his mom has now found a new family, and her there was a tradition around Christmas. Abed and his mom would 
always see each other and they would you know watch christmas specials like rudolph and such but now that she's found her new family she he won't be able to see her anymore Mm -hmm. last time of year i will say like when duncan reads the letter he's like i have found a new family now abed and all stuff it seems strange that a mother would write that to her son but I, i can kind of justify it in that this we are still being filtered through abed's christmas vision so the simplicity uh, makes sense it's kind of just used as a a plot device within the episode um so it's not going to be necessarily the most uh the the whole point of the card is just to say what it says which is like i found a new family and i uh, you're gonna you're a man now you're gonna have to do christmas on your own this year like obviously yes a, a normal person would probably write a more meaningful letter than just that uh, but for the sake of the episode, it, it's what works for the story. But then Abed goes into a catatonic state, which is represented by him just freezing up in a block of ice. Right? Yeah. Which uh, Duncan says, it's not my fault. This is what Christmas does to people. And it kind of says that because, you know, Christmas is supposed to be a time of um, happiness and giving and everything. And when somebody mm-hmm. doesn't have those things, it only highlights the worst parts <laughs> Of one's for sure, life which I mean, more. I think is uh, a valid point of a lot of people's Christmas experiences as they grow older, right? Yeah. Uh, especially growing up, like Christmas is ah magical, and there's Christmas and presents and cookies. But um, as you grow older, uh, then yeah, there becomes more of a discrepancy between those expectations and reality. Um, that ends up just a lot of people are bummed around the holidays. Uh, their their expectation kind of thing is that everything should be holly and jolly. Yeah. But with that, the whole group shows up again, which I guess you could say is predictable in terms of its uh, blah. But it makes sense for yeah. that they would all come back to help Abed. And then they just start – they basically say that like uh, Christmas – okay, what was your issue with the when how they reached the meaning of Christmas by the end, you said? Um, it was more just the, the, the lost thing, the reference. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, because I mean, like their uh, their conclusion is a pretty obvious one. It's not the most unique, but obviously, it's that like uh, the meaning of Christmas is that like uh, Christmas has meaning, and it's just whatever meaning you give it. Um, I would say it's more like Christmas itself is like a sign or a signifier, right? Which anything can be projected on it, right? And that's what they yeah. do in their psalm, you know, how. Uh, uh, Annie, yeah, you know, he says he can even be celebrated by those who celebrate Hanukkah. Shirley is all, you know, celebrating Jesus, and then even mm-hmm. Jeff's just like, eh, it's still a good time. Yeah, like <laughs> everybody know? has their own traditions and things that they like about it that kind of gives it meaning to them, and it's more just that that's important. I don't, it feels similar to the idea that, like, uh, like philosophically, when people are like, life has no purpose, no no innate purpose, um, but then. Therefore, maybe the purpose of life is to find purpose or to create a purpose kind of thing. Yeah. Um, if it has no innate, then it's like, yeah, Christmas doesn't have innate meaning. It's more what you make of it. Yeah. I also kind of wonder, too, like when they're like, point your magic Christmas weapons at Duncan, which <laughs> they all start doing. I'm kind of wondering, like, what, are they actually beating the crap out of him in the My actual study room? Probably just like pelting him with random shit in the library, like yeah. in the study room um just seems like the the most realistic thing because like you do have duncan yelling like ah what the hell like he he sounds like he's getting hit by shit and then Um, it's like well you know like when annie's like and christmas pterodactyl Pterodactyl. (laughs) and then he's like okay and it picks him up he's like okay i'm leaving and then it's like 
you could tell it's like, okay, he's just going to leave in the real life. And then Annie's like, initiate self-destruct. And he's like, oh, do you think that's a little? And then it just blows. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, yeah. okay, like if he was leaving, what the hell did they do with the init- the self-destruct <laughs> in the real world? The they, I, they just I think booted that, his like, ass out by force instead. Um, It's more the idea that like uh, adding that to the, the, the fantasy of it that like, not like not only is he being ejected by the Christmas pterodactyl while leaving, they're also gonna blow him up in this Christmas world. Um, so I don't think they're actually doing anything to him in real life. It's more just like, okay, I was already leaving. You don't have to blow me up too. <laughs> yeah. So then that brings out Abed from his little uh, his catatonia, and he says the meaning of Christmas to him was spending time with his mom. But now that the study group has now become his new family, in a sense, mm-hmm. now the meaning is. The time he can spend with them so they leave whereas where the dean and uh duncan are just sharing a drink at their at their miserable failures they oh, steal yes. the, <laughs> they steal the christmas tree it's and then true. they watch they watch rudolph and that's how the episode ends which is so. yeah it makes for a very nice like cute ending uh which i mean fits well into the the sitcom like kind of style of you, you want it to end with especially a holiday special on top of that yeah. kind of has to end with a, a happy ending. It's definitely sentimental and very earnest in how it handles yeah. it, but for what it's doing and and that it's giving a character like like Abed like a new actual meaning for Christmas that isn't just, you know, the obvious, the super obvious. Um, I mean, it's it's an obvious thing, but it's not the yeah. most obvious thing you'd expect in a normal Christmas special. But so, uh, it's something that the show itself touches on a lot that I like, which is the the concept of, like, found family. Yeah. Um, because that that's essentially it, like uh, unaddressed, but like the the cast of this show is a little bit of a found family, and it it is referenced a little more overtly in some episodes uh, than others. Like obviously in this one, it's kind of about uh, emphasizing that found family aspect, uh, especially when Abed's mother has literally found another, like is yeah. <laughs> found herself another family. It's kind of about him doing the same um, and creating a family with the people around him. Um, but, I mean, you, you have other stuff like, uh, I think it's the, what, the the second paintball episode, part one. Yeah. Um, where a they're fit, doing... Is it a fistful of paintballs? Is that the yeah, episode? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's where, uh, what is it, when, like, the, the episode kind of starts out that the group is taking a vote... Uh, whether or not to kick Pierce out of the study group starting next year. Because yeah. uh, this is happening as they're kind of like at the end of their year. And that's where you get Annie's line about like, uh, if you start choosing, like picking and choosing who's a part of your family, where do you stop? Kind of reemphasizing the uh, the ideals of like found family. Yeah. Um, so no, it's definitely something the show comes back to. But I think the this is like the best use of it in the the early seasons. Yeah, I'd say so too. Even the way how like when Abed comes out, but it's still stop motion, and Britta's like, yeah. you know, why don't we keep going for it for uh, the rest of Christmas? It just <laughs> seems right. <laughs> you know? it just, yeah, it yeah. seems more Christmassy. Um, oh yeah, that and I mean the uh, the post credit scene um, uh, <laughs> where Troy and Abed are still in stop motion, but now it's both of them that are actually seeing it in stop motion. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and you get the revelation that Troy's like, oh no, I did this this time. And they're both just, their characters are sitting in the study room eating cookies. And the, I always just liked how uh, food looks in, in like animated, uh, like stop motion animated stuff like that. It's like, oh, the bites look so perfect. 
yeah, so this is a yeah really solid episode as a Christmas episode, as well as just a community episode in general. It tackles the the group dynamics and, like you said, yeah. with the idea of the found family, while also providing some a decent like short little Christmas TV <laughs> special. Especially thing. for um, what is it? Just because like obviously that's a thing in sitcoms too is the like Christmas episodes, Halloween episodes, Thanksgiving episodes. Um, are super commonplace, uh, and especially as someone who re-watches a lot of television comedy. Every time I watch through a season of a TV show, I have to deal with one of each of those episodes. Anytime I watch, yeah, like, I mean, there's stuff like uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, every season has a Halloween, a Christmas, or something like that, like a, and a lot of the more, like, 90s sitcoms have, have those staples, too. It's just, yeah, this one holds up better uh just because obviously it's it becomes a little more played out it, it's easy to do a holiday episode bad yeah <laughs> because it's more just about like airing it on tv around the time of the holidays and just kind of the show Throw. having its finger on the pulse a bit more but yeah in like the streaming uh day of today that's the, those episodes don't hold up as well uh but this one definitely does yeah, so I guess with that we can move on to Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. So yes. it's a season two, episode fourteen. Though the it most is not controversial show of Community. <laughs> so controversial, or Netflix. a controversial episode. Yeah. No, so controversial. Netflix pulled the plug on it, <laughs> and that they, was recent enough, right? Yeah, um, it was the summer of last year. Yeah. You know, the Netflix airs Big Mouth and all their all that shit, but Community. No, it took it too no, far. This episode, uh, oh, it's it's also like the reason that I got pulled. I mean, so for anybody who doesn't know, um, the in the episode like Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, uh, all of the the main cast are playing a game of Dungeons and Dragons, and uh, Ben Chang ends up being a drow or a dark elf, yeah. um, who like in D anD D they have dark skin. Um, so his character decides to paint his entire skin black, but like pitch black, yeah. not like he's not doing like brown face or anything. He, well, it looks like he got tarred. <laughs> well, the thing is though, is that, have you seen some early well, black yes, face? The, for sure some the early some of those are like extremely like, yeah, yeah. black, people, but people are wearing shoe polish, like but also the thing is, like, the dark elf. People usually associate the dark beings in fantasy with evil, and he's, like, in something that resembles, like, shoe polish blackface, so it's associating yeah. that with evil, right? So I think, um, I think that's, that's what's upsetting right. is that, like, the, the episode is clearly very self-aware of what it's doing. Um, yeah, don't they even call Chang racist? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, this, exactly. I watched it this morning. There's several jokes about how, like, what he's doing is not okay. Yeah. Um, but, like, Ben Chang's character is also meant to be, like, unhinged to a certain extent. <laughs> what do you expect? He lives in the, the air vents? <laughs> yeah. Inhaling monkey gas? <laughs> For most of a year, yeah. Um, of course he would do crazy shit like this. <laughs> and and that's the other thing, is that, like, it's it's also, like it's tactful in the sense that it's not like he's kind of just like a delusioned character who doesn't realize that it's wrong to do blackface and is like trying to do blackface to play a black character in a, in a, like a, a movie or a play within the show. Um, it's literally him like trying to do fantasy, like kind of cosplaying, if you will, 
um, yeah. painting himself like this elf. And he's wearing, uh, is he wearing elf ears? Yeah, I he think is. So. Yeah, so like he's wearing elf ears on top of that. So I don't know. It, it just seems like a a re like the people who are outraged by this obviously didn't engage with the episode at all. No, and it's, it's also just with the internet they got flared up as like you you can circulate a picture of him in blackface in this episode. Um, the thing is, in con- you have to take things in context, and I think with the internet uh, age, just so many people ignore context. When it it's comes like to stuff like uh, what is it? the there was a similar issue with was it Tropic Thunder? Uh, oh, with Robert, Robert Downey Down. Jr.'s role. The thing is, in that he was a white actor who was playing a guy in blackface. That was. But like, wasn't the whole purpose he was playing a character who was? Yeah, I've I've never actually seen it, but I, his, I his, it no, up. his character is an actor who is playing a blackface yes. role that that's exactly yeah um and he so even like, got an oscar it's not about obviously robert downey jr the actor painting himself up to play a black character it's, it's literally him playing an actor who is choosing to be in blackface and like within the context of the movie uh it's yeah clearly it's li- a little more self-aware again i think that's a big part of it it's just well like that movie specifically it's like commenting on the blackface trope for comedy purposes yeah it's not like it's just doing blackface like back in the 20s with mantan moreland and shit you know it's not the same kind of thing but um and that's why i mean like that's clearly what this episode is doing too um they're all of the other characters are ragging on him for being in blackface um and they're they're making jokes not like like about the fact that his character would be so ridiculous and disillusioned to choose to do this. Um, so that's why it's it's more just about how self-aware they actually are. That's, I don't know, to me seems important. But obviously with cancel culture and outrage culture, people are just going to get upset that it exists and kind of try and cancel it. And I guess Netflix didn't like the heat. Uh, um, so they took off what I still think is one of the best episodes of the show. Uh, off Netflix so that anyone trying to watch it there is is really missing out. Yeah, so listen to the episode proper. Uh, I like the the opening as a parody of the grandiose narrations you find in fantasy yes. movies, like, you know, explaining the backstory and everything with that portentous kind of voice, right? Yes, and, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, uh, I, oh, I said I said portentous, not pre- not pretentious. Ah, so. okay. Because what it's often referred to, uh, like the the voicing, uh, I think it's just called RP. Actually, um, it's like it's not a British accent, but it's kind of like that fantasy close to British accent <laughs> that is used in a lot of like uh, what all elves use and stuff. Um, there there is a specific name for it, uh, but yeah, yeah, it's it's clearly what they're they're going for um, as like the this kind of leaning into the fantasy tropes that exist in D&D. Yeah, so then we're introduced to Fat Neil, which is what the episode calls him, and the which, way he, get, uh, the way he gets fat, the name like, is... The uh, way he gets the name is important to the episode, but yes. we do see him, like, a few episodes before, just in, like, the background. Yeah, I was like, gonna say, he he is, like, a, a background character for the, some of the, the earlier episodes, so he, he's at least established first. Yeah, and so they kind of go into his backstory, which is that, you know, he was bullied in high school and then his to escape the darkness, as the narration puts it, he he uh retrieves into uh 
the fantasy of playing Dungeons and Dragons, which you could say is definitely a little stereotypical of I mean, these kinds of things. But yes, is, but it's also accurate. I mean, that's, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Um, trust me, as someone who I I played D and D last night, um, okay. <laughs> and I take no offense to that portrayal. I think it's yeah. <laughs> Uh, a lot of fantasy is escapism. That's what people are looking for. So that's obviously the kind of people that will uh, be enticed by fantasy elements and fantasy stories and whatnot. I like how it shows the map where it shows like here he went to Greendale and the Greendale is drawn on the map like something out of like this fan. Yeah. Like I read, I read uh, the Bone comics. Do you remember? Okay, those? yeah, I, I read those too. Yeah, just because I remember like when you'd open up, they'd show the map of the whole fantasy place they're in it yes, reminded yeah. me so, so much of that but that's just Those my point drawings. of reference yeah and, i mean that's common in like every like high world, fantasy novel world building uh, stuff exactly yeah. things that are heavy on world building and also uh, super common in dungeons and dragons people are always drawing their own maps and it's very much within that same style yeah and then uh, uh, but of greendale community college <laughs> Yeah, I find it funny how it's like, you know, in fantasy stories, the darkness, there's always that fantasy always plays, you know, the light and dark, right? Yes. But And this darkness is just reality. <laughs> yeah. I mean... It mentions like how uh, when he first came, somebody called him Fat Neil and it destroyed his chances of trying to hope for something new. It's just, yeah, the name kind of stuck and it, it ended up following him to community college, too. And it can. I like how it can. There's a concealing of who calls him that for the first time, and then later yes. we find out who it is. And then I would say, like when I first watched it, it kind of seemed strange that like Jeff would be so, you know, uh, concerned about this kid that he would befriend him and yeah. you know, try to do because, like you said, Jeff is guarded and he's sarcastic and he doesn't. He tries to feign that he doesn't care about these connections and stuff so it's like okay this seems out of character for jeff and then later when you find out why he's doing it no it makes it makes sense why he is which yes, i like yeah. i like that as almost a, a little bit of a clever twist even though it's not like it's not the, so in your face exactly of. it doesn't like knock you uh, knock the wind out of you but it, it at least like justifies the story a bit more in a clever way um, which, yeah, I mean, it's not a huge twist. We can kind of just talk about it now. Uh, yeah. The idea that, like... Jeff, um, uh, Jeff yeah. is the one who called him first called him Fat Neil at Greendale, and then the name stuck, and basically Jeff uh, started befriending him and pretending to be interested in D&D to, uh, to maybe make the kid feel a little better about himself, and it was out of Jeff's own guilt for having started the name-calling. So. Yes, yeah. It does a good job of showing, like, yeah, Jeff, well, he is his, his more inner human qualities versus the always sardonic, detached guy he usually presents himself to be in a way that's not too over the top with it. And so, yeah, they after Neil decides to give up on D&D, the group all make make a pact to make him feel feel good by letting him win in the game of D&D. And Chang just so happens to be there and they didn't notice. So <laughs> yeah, <he> yeah. <laughs> Like how that's the added line, like everybody's getting together to play a D&D game. And it's like, and Chang was in the room and it, uh, it like it was too awkward to, to say anything about one by the time they noticed. Yeah. And then uh, in the voiceover, they kind of kind of like with Abed's Christmas, they all give them a certain archetypal name. Like we call him Jeff the Liar, the son of William, the barely known. That's no, like a. Annie the Day Planner, uh, Troy the Obtuse, Shirley the Cloying, Abed the Undiagnosable. Well, yeah. 
Britta the needlessly defiant and Pierce the insensitive, aka Pierce the dickish, and aka <laughs> Grandpa the flatulent. <laughs> yeah. It's oh. a, it's a, it's kind of uh, works because I remember I read a review of this. I think it was the AV Club. They said they didn't like how it kind of reduced them all to just their archetypes. But I think yeah. like that's that's part of the point, and it works within the fantasy thing because in fantasy characters are always so archetypal, right? Yeah. And oh, these for sure. And these characters already fit into archetypes that the show goes further into than you normally expect. But for, for the pop culture parody that they're working with here, spe- shouting their archetypes in this portentous fantasy way works well for the tone of the episode. Yeah, um, and it, it becomes a nice like map between um, the way that like the because uh, the nature of the show it's a sitcom. These characters kind of are already archetypal. And mapping that to the the kind of fantasy staples of characters being like very uh, kind of pigeonholed into specific ar- archetypes that I, I don't know I find it translates well. Um, but that's what, yeah what I mentioned to you earlier before we were recording um, is that uh, there was like this one fan of the show that was talking about how whenever they introduce uh, community to someone instead of showing them the pilot they like to show them this episode. Because it does have those reductions to like kind of their their key like uh, characteristics um, that gives like uh, new viewers kind of uh, a better sense of the framework of the show and the character dynamics. That like obviously it's more meaningful to read those out over time uh, if you're given that chance. But uh, to just kind of get a, a firm grasp of the show, it becomes a nice way, and that's why it, it works uh, in the sense of like just a voiceover introduction yeah so i guess with that yeah they don't invite pierce because he's such an egotistical he's yeah he's pierce the dick so yeah (laughs) so of course he and i remember some people said they didn't like how pierce was played as a villain in this episode but i think it totally works him being the villain yeah and i think the villain through a lot of the show but Uh, also him being the villain at the end at the very end of the episode works well well, yes, and I guess yeah. we can get we can get to that. But anyway, so I mean, it's it's the same as with Abed's Christmas, right? Because you're working in this fantasy framework. Yeah. Um. You you need like a specific antagonist, like Duncan the the Christmas Wizard became like Duncan the Christmas Warlock, and was the <laughs> very much the antagonist of that story and episode. Um. You kind of need something like that, especially in fantasy, to drive the the story a bit more. So obviously, I feel like Pierce's character is the obvious choice for that. Yeah, especially uh, here at first, you know, they're like, we're going to let Fat Neil win the game. And you can tell Neil knows right away that they're just pitying him. Yeah. You know, and even like when Abed's like, I got all your uh, your character names right here with you in mind. And then they all just scrimmage and grab it. Just someone's like, yeah, let's just do this. And none of them are yeah, satisfied. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. They, they obviously don't know 100 percent what they're doing and not all of them are as invested as others. Um so yeah, yeah. The uh, I do like the the whole idea of them all grant, grabbing random character sheets that he made. Yeah. Um, and he gets. I love hacked. the bit of Abbott's inability to name things um, <laughs> that is recurring. It's in the advanced, advanced Dungeons and Dragons, the the kind of uh, season five episode where they do another D and D episode um, that like <laughs> he's terrible at naming characters and places. Yeah, what is it? Uh, Jeff's name is Ra. It's, I think it's Mar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was it Annie gets uh, Hector, uh, Hector the, the well endowed? 
and it's kind of like a little bit ironic considering Annie's <laughs> appearance yeah. and everything. But then it's like, I made that for Troy. And then they do their little handshake and Shirley's like, Ooh, I bet you did. Yeah. <laughs> Always uh, playing that. Will they, are they, or are they not? Troy is playing something like Bing Bong the Gnome or like. No, no it's Bing Bong the Archers. <laughs> or the Arch. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, I, I forget some of the other ones, but they're <laughs> they're they're quite good. It, it just makes for a good bit. Uh, I also think it's funny when they're talking about how they have to. They're on the gnome. They're fighting the gnomes, I believe. Or like uh, at first, there's just some goblins that rush them. Yeah, and then Britta starts saying like, "Are we on their land?" Oh, or, yeah, she tries to give this like big like when they're in the so tavern. Yeah, yeah, they start talking to the gnome like bartender. Um, <laughs> And yes, you get her whole shtick of being like super uh, socially progressive and stuff. And this gnome is telling her character like, but I'm five race classes lower than you, madam. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, so you shouldn't be treating me like this. And it's like, oh, my God, do you guys know that these people are being oppressed? <laughs> <laughs> and then they're like, shut up, Brett. It's, so, like, yeah. it's just like a, it's Dungeons and Dragons. You're not changing anything of course what yeah. is troy troy calls her like the at&t of people, of people. <laughs> yeah oh god yeah i also like um too in the episode when they actually start fighting in the dungeons and dragons you hear the sounds of like arrows and not and, yes. like, swords on the, on the soundtrack which is yeah uh, they, that's is like added time. into the show uh kind of like which diegetically yeah, which yeah, diegetically, which is a well, it's non-diegetically, non yeah. But the characters clearly can, they're playing it's, that out in their it's, minds. It's yeah. kind of just uh, emphasizing like the theater of the mind a bit, the idea of uh, everyone imagining um, what's going on, uh, as yeah, Abed describes the scene. Um, so yeah, I mean, what is it? The their campaign kind of starts that they're all just in a field and they get rushed by goblins. Um, and after, uh, what is it, Neil's character, uh, what is it, the something Duquesne? Um, yeah. Yeah, is like, uh, stops these goblins with a sword, and they're all, like, cheering him on, like, yay, Neil, you saved us. Like, a, a very, I, I don't know, like, thinly veiled attempt to kind of uh, cheer him on. I mean, all he did was kill some goblins. Uh, <laughs> uh, then you get Pierce that shows up, realizing <laughs> that they're playing without him, and he's clearly angry about it. Uh, and starts yelling at Abed to put him in the game, um, which is, I think, one of my favorite bits. As, as Pierce refuses to make a character or anything and just yells, <laughs> put me in the game, Abed just goes, okay, uh, you see a 65-year-old naked man running through the field. His name is Pierce Hawthorne. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I also well, like how... I like how Abed, being the impartial dungeon master, yes. even though they they all agreed to do it for the sake of Neil, but Ab, because Abed's so pop culture obsessed and he's he strictly adheres to the bits he does, he ha he must be the impartial dungeon master that takes over. <laughs> oh over yeah. Then. Um, but also, like to be fair, um, that's also kind of the nature of the game too. Oh, is that is, like? But the, but the thing is, he's breaking the the initial point of of it, right? Yes. So, um, like they they do have a better explanation of it in the the second D and D episode that they do. What is it? Uh, Abed kind of goes on a monologue about the idea that like he's meant to be like the impartial kind of uh, dungeon master. Dungeon master, yeah, and that like he creates a boundless world and binds it together with rules. 
um, and like without those rules and without actually kind of being impartial, then the game and the world becomes meaningless. Um, so I mean, he's just being a very good dungeon master, but it also fits his character very well, of yeah. course, uh, of him being, yeah, like a little more hyper literal and committed to these things. Yeah. So what is it? Pierce steals the sword that uh, Neil worked for years to to, to, to get. Yes. Get, and then he like rubs it on his on his balls. <laughs> like I rub it on my balls. Yeah. yeah and then Abed I hump the sword of Duquesne. <laughs> Abed rolls it. He's like, you 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 now just rubbed your balls. On you, the sword. You succe- yeah. Rolls a die. You successfully rubbed your balls. <laughs> oh. Neil's just getting destroyed, and then they uh. Uh, Jeff and Abed take Pierce outside and they try to tell him that like we're doing this for Fat Neil but like he's like I don't like being excluded do you and Jeff's like yes yes (laughs) (laughs) but like clearly Pierce uh, Pierce is just too bitter um, to like try and meet them on any level uh, and just wants to be the antagonist at this point because he's he's just just upset for being left out yeah it's just his ego at this point of course I also find it's weird when he's like, you treat me like a kid, even though I'm older than all of you. You look and talk to me like I can't get erections. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you kind of get the characters are a little taken aback by that. Like, no, no, we don't. I think you're projecting. It was just like, what? <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> what is, uh, yeah, so, I mean, Pierce steals the sword of Duquesne and then uh, runs away with it. Um, and then he goes into the janitor's closet i think and he builds a throne of just the file like the milk crates and stuff and like uh cone traffic cones yeah he's sitting there with a bot with a glass of wine like something like an evil ruler yes, <laughs> like yeah. like dent like denethor or something <laughs> out of lord of the rings um but i mean yeah it's uh so it, it's good f- i i still find it good for pierce's character because you see him like being uh quite conniving and like exploitive and trying to like get the most out of the situation that he's created and he like bribes Garrett to go get as much Dungeons and Dragons stuff as he can so Pierce can try and get that edge and win because winning is such a clear like motivator for this character yeah he bribes him with Mars bars (laughs) yeah I think it's back where uh they have to seduce in the game. They have to seduce the elf maiden. Yes, is that it? Right, who, and like but, who uh, has a bunch of Pegasus? Uh... I find it funny when it's like, uh, "How do we get out of the cave? The cave of whatever." And then uh, he's like, "Well, we uh, can ask for a, a Pegasus." And Jeff's like, "I can't tell if that's sarcasm. That's everything, just, everything in this game is silly. It's kind of funny because I think the because Dan Harmon really loved playing D and D, and I think okay. he literally just came into the writers' room." dumped it all on the table and was like let's write an episode around this and that's how this episode yeah. went and it's kind of funny it's, you can clearly see the reverence for it but also the mocking of the the silliness of the game because oh, like that would be uh, i mean like these shows are written in the writer's room and i'm sure that some of the people in the writer's room's opinion is like i i can't tell how serious some of this is because to someone who's not exposed to it or not into it and like especially someone who's not into fantasy which i mean to be a writer on a comedy show you don't have to be huge into fantasy um it could seem exactly like how it seems to jeff like that's i can't tell uh, <laughs> are you joking like this seems too ridiculous yeah it's funny an abed has to play he's playing the elf maiden right and he's like you're very handsome to to jeff it's like you know at first it's like jeff's gold seducer and jeff's like 
uh, I feel uncomfortable <laughs> when acting this out with you, Abed. And so they give it to Annie as Hector, the well, well endowed. endowed, which is a really funny bit how it goes into this. It's like, like <laughs> it trails off and you just get the little fantasy like violins and like uh, playing kind of as you see them describing the scene as Hector the well-endowed like entices the maiden and like lays her in bed and <laughs> there's well, some just, good, just physical comedy bits you see like uh, you could, at the end like, she's like Abed, like tied up with his hands and go like Oh, and release down. Like. Or when she's like moving your fingers, she could tell she's like fingering. And then it cuts or, to, or spanking uh, him or something. It cuts to Troy. You see Troy just flips his character sheet and starts <laughs> aggressively taking notes as Annie's describing what she's doing. Yeah, it's like the whole. It has like this like really sweet like violin sound, but it almost sounds like not something out of fantasy. But I can also see it out of like a faux feminist uh like softcore porn oh <laughs> yes okay, yeah. yeah apparently i read that uh allison brie literally just improvised a bunch of really raunchy stuff on the set because <laughs> yeah. he knew it wasn't going to make it into the episode so all those react and they all reacted to it as if in character so that's why you get the reactions of jeff just like his jaw dropping okay. and surely just like ah, like <laughs> crawling oh, back fun. After it's done and the Annie just finishes it and she's like, and Troy's like still writing it down. He's like, what does he say? Uh, for which part? That's after Annie's done. Oh, right? and Troy's oh, I like, forget. yeah, yeah. <laughs> he says something like, oh, and what? He says something to the effect. Uh, yeah, yeah, like, just kind like, of uh, trying to inquire more out of Annie as he's taking notes about yeah. like trying to figure out what to do with the woman. Like, yeah, Annie kind of. It kind of plays on like, you know, I find it funny uh, that line. It's in season one when Jack Black comes in yes. for that one episode and he sings a song about how sex she tries to sing about how sexy Annie is. And then Jeff's like, Annie's pretty young. We try not to sexualize her. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there's so many episodes where they put her in these sexy situations. Of course. And this is like one of the most obvious ones. <laughs> But hey, it's it's all role play within the fantasy world, so it's yeah. different. That's... But of course, it has to be Annie that <laughs> does yes. it. Yes, yeah. But it does it does play on both that aspect of her, but also her desire to like that kindness of her willing to play along with Abed, yeah. not just with Abed, but these games that they play because they she knows that's it's for the betterment of them, and she does she plays that role in multiple. She's also episodes. kind of just like pragmatic too, like she just wants to like do her best to get what they need done and they need Pegasus out of this character. So she's like, yeah, of course I'll, I'll do it. Like, so yeah, I mean, at that point they, they end up getting the, the, the Pegasi uh, and they start flying out to try and find Pierce. Um, And that's where you see uh, what is it? Abed leads Pierce back into the room, like into the study room where everyone else is playing and prompts the group that they see uh, like, some man laying in the grass in the cloak that Duquesne gave to Pierce holding the sword, um, like holding the, the sword of Duquesne. And what all oh, there is <laughs> a, a fun bit with this where obviously they, they go down uh, to see like what they all assume to be Pierce who just like died of exposure <laughs> or something playing the game. Um, but then when oh. they roll over the corpse, they not only realize it's not Pierce, um but it's the uh the gnome that was serving them at the bar <laughs> um and, they, and it's britta who's interacting with the gnome again being like oh no 
And the gnome's like, oh, thank you for all the kindness you showed me. And he's like, and by the way, my name was Kyle. Uh, and, <laughs> and dies. Um, which I think is like, is quite funny. Because like, first of all, that's a super common thing in D&D. Just to try and like find all, what seem like almost meaningless ways to get your characters attached to the NPCs. Because the more attached to the, the fictional characters they are, the more involved they'll be in the world. So the idea of just like giving him this name right before he dies, just to add emotional weight to it, um, is like very much fits for D and D. But it also reminds me of something that I think is from the pilot of the show, um, where Jeff is giving his monologue, and he's like, uh, "See, I can take this pencil and tell you its name is whatever. I forget what he says. Tell you its name is Dave, and do this, and snaps the pencil, and he's like, and a little part of you dies. <laughs> it's very much in the same vein." Uh, yeah. Yeah, it goes in that uh, that vein again of the semiotics of like taking a signifier and just assigning it meaning for the for the sake of emotional resonance. Yeah, exactly. As well as uh, I think when they think it's Pierce that's died, Shirley's just like, "I've been dreaming of this moment <laughs> in, in the game." In the <laughs> voice game, goes yeah. really low within the game. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, after the reveal that it's not actually Pierce. Um, they hear some uh, something flying over them, and they see uh, Pierce's naked body astride a giant flying dragon um, that he's now commanding. Uh, <laughs> and he comes to fight all of them all on Dragonback, um, which, I mean, like, also a realistic uh, kind of use of the game is some of the high-level stuff is just so broken. When they all try and fight Pierce on this dragon, Pierce just yells, time stop and everyone freezes in time and they can't do anything yeah uh which just yeah i'll play some some of the broken high level mechanics yeah they're all just like seriously <laughs> like what i can't do anything he's <laughs> like yeah you're, you're frozen you're yeah and then uh, i think it's when they're frozen that yeah pierce reveals that the reason why they're doing this is because jeff gave him the name fat neil yes right yeah right and then it's kind of interesting because you know jeff is you can say Jeff is both the bad is the bad guy in the sense that he gave him the name, but he's trying to be the good guy and helping Neil. But in trying to be the good guy, it only humiliates Neil even more at the hands of Pierce. Yes. As a result. Yeah. Like at least like up until that that point in the story. Um, but I mean, like it's uh, I don't know. Jeff is more framed as like the kind of flawed protagonist, like someone yeah, who that's what I, that's made what I mean. a mistake. Yeah, yeah, and is trying to fix it. Uh, it's like he's trying to be the good guy, but in trying to be the good guy, he temporarily humiliates Neil even more. <laughs> yeah. But then uh, I think I like the way they defeat Pierce where they, they start pitying him, where they're like, you know, we're, yes. we all feel really sorry for you. He's like, don't pity me. It's Essentially, me. Fat Neil decides that he's like, oh, he, he, uh, it's like, oh, is it my turn? He's like, yeah, Abba's like, yeah, you can't move. It's like, that's OK. I use my turn. To, to feel pe- bad for Pierce Hawthorne. <laughs> and so, uh, just uh, like getting at Pierce's ego. Like, don't feel bad for me. Like, I won. <laughs> and so they all go through pi- uh, using their turn to pity Pierce. And then yeah. with that, they could all unleash their attacks on him. <laughs> and they defeat him. <laughs> or it's it's essentially, um, what is it? They, they all take the turn to, to pity Pierce. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then mean. wanting to mess with them more, Pierce unfreezes time. Um, not realizing that, I mean, like, mechanically, that's all he can do in a turn is uh, unfreeze time. So then it just passes to um, 
Fat Neil's turn. <laughs> um, who, yeah, manages to what is it? Throw uh, the sword of Duquesne at Pierce and shatter the amulet that Pierce is using to control the dragon. Hence, yeah, freeing the dragon and the dragon rewards them for freeing them from his evil master. Uh, and they essentially kind of wrap up in uh, as having like finished the what is it, caverns of Draconis uh, like yeah. module of D and D, which I mean is fun. Then that kind of leads into the the final beat of the story there with uh, Fat Neil's interaction with Pierce, yeah, which is once again kind of like that that nicer ending. Yeah, um, I think it works though because when he says like that was the best game I ever played, and Pierce is like, yeah. don't mention it. Want to play again sometime? We'll see. And then, yeah. but I think it, it works like when people complain that Pierce is the villain in the episode, but the thing is at the end, it's because Pierce actually gave Neil a challenge yes. in the game, right? So this the old iteration of a story or a quest is only as good as your antagonist. As your oh, of course. And that's, that's why, like, um, the, what what they do with the, the beginning of uh, the episode where, like, just some goblins charge at Adam and then, like, uh, he just swings the sword and kills three goblins in one swoop. Like, there's no challenge to it. Yeah. And they're all trying to be like, oh, Neil, you saved us from these goblins. But there, there's no challenge in it. So, yeah, there's no meaning. Uh, the, the real meaning's gotten out of trying to fight Pierce, who is genuinely playing his hardest. Yeah. Um, I, I also uh, noticed, that I think, is it because of Pierce that uh, Chang has to leave first? Um, it's... Uh, yeah, how does Chang's character die? I'm not sure. Uh, but, but anyway, I think the, the point I was going to make was that when he goes, you know, he walks in slow motion and there's like the crossfades and then he just yes. disappears. But like Troy kind of just like looks out like something strange happened. I'm like, did he actually just disappear? Because <laughs> you know what I mean? They love doing all this crazy shit with Chang. And I'm like, no, maybe diegetically in the universe, Chang really just dissolved. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not sure about that, but uh uh, to me, it just feels more like a, a meta bit. Like, yeah, yeah. And then it's after that, like Pierce is just alone in the study room. Then the narrator comes back, and so and so Pierce learned to help Fat Neil while learning nothing at all himself. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and then it turns out the narrator's just the Janet, just like the cleaning lady. <laughs> like, yeah, like the Spanish cleaning lady or something. Uh, <laughs> which I mean, it feels more like physical comedy than anything it's yeah uh just a, a kind of the the subversion of like not only is it not just some random narrate narrator it's someone <laughs> in the universe and the voice does not sound like it would come from that person at all so not the smartest bit but it's a fun one to end on yeah i don't mind the bit of pierce learned nothing at all i think that's a fun. <laughs> i mean yeah but that's it. it's on that's pierce's character he's yeah. like yeah, yeah uh they always call him like a geriatric man child <laughs> like, um just kind of like yeah perpetually immature so he's, he doesn't learn from much i also gotta say i think do you recognize who their teacher was for their main class in season three um which oh like the, uh, the black the black guy with the scar do you, oh, do you recognize uh, him Yes, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, Om it's Omar. Omar, from, yes. From the wire. When I was watching, I was like, holy shit. Omar Omar's coming. here. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? Omar's here? I can't believe it. <laughs> it uh, I, I just had to bring that up. It was like. No, no that, that's because, uh, I mean, yeah, I don't I don't know if we talk much about season three. Um, we are coming into season three. 
with remedial chaos theory. Yes, yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty much it for Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, yeah, which is a yeah, a good up ep- good episode. Really, yeah, clever. it's a fun episode. Um, uh, it's a particular favorite of mine, obviously because it's D and D related. Um, but even from before I pl- used to play, uh, it was still one of my favorite episodes just because of the the fantasy elements and a lot of the jokes land, and it still has that like emotional core to it. Without shoving it in your face too much. Yeah. And I also, uh, I think it's good just, like, I'm not into Dungeons & Dragons, but I can at least pick apart, like, you know, these fantasy tropes and stuff. Of course. But, it's, but it's I even not... just, like, I just like the dynamics of the of the group, their character traits yeah. shine well, even in their archetypal fashion. So it succeeds, like, yeah, both with the characters and just as a progressing story and just and for like, fans of d As D&D. a reference episode, yeah. It's, it's not one that gets too bogged down in its own reference. With that, I think we can progress to Remedial Chaos Theory, which is Season yeah. 3, Episode 4, which is, like, possibly the most acclaimed episode of the show, would you say? Yeah, um, I think that, like, the only reason that it's so acclaimed is because it does have, like, uh, some recurring effects in the show. It is uh, a more referenced, like, episode as far as uh, the alternate timelines are referenced a lot in other episodes. You have... Um, like one singular episode, I think in uh, I don't know what season. Season uh, four, I think. Season four, yeah, where like uh, it's kind of the Jeff goes to like roll the die again, and you get kind of that like the the darkest timeline stuff. There's another darkest timeline episode where um, Abed goes to like saw off Jeff's arm. So that's why it, it's like one of the more um, continuous, like episodes. yeah, serialized kind of aspects of the show. The rest of it is very much like kind of more one-and-done episodes. But I do um, think as an episode itself, I think it earns its acclaim. It's a really good episode. Oh, for sure. Episode. It's a fun I mean, watch. Um, it's both fun in its gimmicks and just in its character writing and, su- and such. It pretty excels, I think. That's also, like, um, something that, I don't know, personally I enjoy uh, is when you kind of get that in stories, uh either like slightly different versions of the same events or like a, a re like a reexamining from a different perspective that you're you're getting in this episode where I mean like yeah getting into the the premise a bit more essentially Troy and Abed get their uh, their first apartment together and they want to have the whole study group over to kind of show off their new place have a little party get together um, and they invite everyone over for pizza and Yahtzee um, <laughs> which uh, I mean, the the bit for Yahtzee never hit me as much until I never actually caught on that like that's kind of the introduction to the whole dice aspect of the episode essentially as they're all sitting down uh the pizza guy shows up and Jeff decides that he's gonna roll a six-sided die to decide who has to go pick up the pizza because no one wants to go down to the front door essentially choosing yeah like one to six from his left to right whatever he rolls that person has to go down um, and the episode just keeps repeating at the point of the dice roll to show the different outcomes, whether it's he rolled a one, he rolled a two, he rolled a three. Yeah, and every time he goes, Abed's like, Jeff, you realize you are creating six different timelines. Of yeah. course I am, Abed. Yeah, and then, of course, it does every time. Yeah. And we see all the timelines and things that are the same in each one, scenes which are slightly different and how the dynamic is affected when one person is absent from the group. And all does in pretty clever ways. So we start, uh, yeah, where they come in, we get some of the things that will be set up in the multiple timelines, like when uh, 
you know, Shirley showed up early with baking her pies, even though though nobody wants her pies at all. I kind of wonder, was that a trade of hers before this? Was that she had a baking thing? Uh, It's not something that's established. Um, It's just something that kind of makes sense, right? She has a quick line about how, um, like, that's a a value that she sees in herself kind of thing. And she, like, something that she feels that she can give to the group is like, oh, it's a form of service, obviously, um, for her friends to actually take the time to bake stuff. There's some funny bits in this opening, like when they show her the the recreation that Abed has of Indiana, of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And then, yes. you know, Britta's just like, super cool and sexy, super sexy cool. It's like overselling it there, but it's... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> even uh, like with that, even before she starts to get high, she's still over the... <laughs> Over think, the top is of it stuff. Jeff or, or I think it's Jeff has the bit, the bit is about uh, Indiana Jones in the tomb of perpetual virginity or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I also like the bit when uh, Shirley comes out with her pizza, which she homemade and Abed's like, we ordered real pizza. What's more real yeah. than homemade? We ordered real pizza. <laughs> and they're like, uh, Abed. it's this is funny. Cause it's like, at first you're like, whoa, Abed, but it makes sense. Cause he made this whole plan of ordering real pizza. And it's like, you're disrupting my bit. Yeah, exactly. And it's also like, um, um, his character doesn't make sense. Like they already have actual pizza coming. Why would you make a different type of pizza? It just yeah. doesn't track logically, which is kind of how his character operates more. Yeah, I guess it's after that that yeah, Jeff and Pierce, yeah, sh- they show up, and then uh, I can also like it's something you see that like Pierce wants to impress Jeff often throughout the yes. show. Seems like, and you get that right there when he shows like the the alcohol he brought, how he's like describing it in great detail. But Jeff, yeah, yeah. it's where is it? It's banned in uh, what Saudi Arabia or something? I forget. Um, yeah, Jeff just couldn't care less because he's yeah. there for the singles, boobs, and billiards club. <laughs> club. <Yeah. laughs> Which it turns out Abed just made up just so Jeff <laughs> would keep his calendar open. I think that's a good bit though, where he actually he's like, oh, I guess I never read it out loud. <laughs> Single malt boobs and billiards club. <laughs> he yeah. just got the flyer and was like i gotta go to this yeah and i like the uh i don't, I don't know if you notice in the background uh you see there's like andy warhol style paintings of abed in the oh background. no i don't think i've noticed that. they're in his apartment <laughs> i thought that's a funny touch anyway i think it's with this that we start with the uh, when the pizza goes up first gets buzzed and i believe the first person he rolls is a two so that's annie goes down <laughs> Yeah. So so it's with Annie when she says, fine, I guess I'm going down. And then uh, Pierce says, speaking of going down, and that triggers his Eartha Kitt story. Where he always, <laughs> he always has Anything to, triggers his Eartha Kitt story. <laughs> of him banging Eartha Kitt in an airplane back bathroom. <laughs> and it's kind of funny because, you know, Eartha Kitt was a famous you know singer from the 60s and everything. She was a famous black singer. So she's very much of Pierce's time. But yeah. it's interesting because of Pierce's boomer racism that he brags about having sex with this famous black woman. But at the same time, it makes sense boomer racism that they would also have a sexualized ideal of a. Of yes, black I mean, like the, the that's time. something that you see there. Like, obviously, in, uh, some races, especially, uh, get more hypersexualized and stuff. Yeah. And then. Um, uh, Another recurring bit is Britta wanting to sing Roxanne, but yeah. Jeff always shuts her down. It's kind of funny because like uh, Britta's always labeled as a buzzkill throughout the show, but now she's trying to have fun, but Jeff just shuts down her is wanting to have fun. immediately shutting her down, yeah, when she's exactly just trying to have fun. 
Uh, and then her reaction is just to immediately go get stoned in the bathroom. <laughs> bathroom, yeah. I feel like the, this timeline, it's the least funny out of the, the ones because I think this one is more just setting up the reoccurring exactly. things that will, that will pay off in the other ones. Like yeah. when Troy finds Annie's gun in her purse. It's, yes, it's a shock because yeah. you're like, why would Annie of all of them have a gun, right? But, but it's like a literal Chekhov's gun thing because, you know, you see it and then it, and it totally pays off. Is off. Yeah. It's even ironic too when Pierce uh, calls it a girl's pea shooter. Oh. And that's it. That's ironic because it's the gun that kills him. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I think it, it really is just establishing a lot of like the the repeating beats that you see because obviously, like the the whole episode is you're repeating the same like what ten minute space of time over and over. Um, so there there's scenes like yeah, yeah, as Jeff first stands up from the table, he smacks his head on the the ceiling fan. So Annie goes to help him like look at it, and you get like. Britta's always getting shut down on singing Roxanne, so she goes to get stoned in the bathroom. Um, and, like, there, there's several beats like this that repeat kind of until they don't, obviously, when certain characters are missing. And that's where it's fun to see how the, those dynamics change and how they choose to change those repeating scenes, like yeah. the key ones. Yeah, it's, like, always, like, yeah, something always triggers Pierce's or the kid's story. It's not yeah. always the same thing, but he always tells it. And then with... with uh, you know, uh, same thing with Britta going to the bathroom. Well, I mean, it's always triggered by the Roxanne thing, but yeah, but I, but like you know how Jeff always hits his head on the fan. Something always triggers that. You know, with uh, this time in the first timeline, it's Annie's guns. I'm gonna go get a drink, and then poof, hits his head. But this time, yeah. Annie's not there to go look at it, <laughs> or some kind. So then, like so other times, it's like it's Pier- Pierce's story that makes him get up, or yeah. or like uh, Shirley going. Oh, I'm gonna go check on my pies or something. And they're all fed up, so he he gets up to go get a drink and stuff. Well, Shirley brings out her pies, and she's like, "Don't fight over them." And then, yeah. but they're all just like, "She's like, oh, you can fight a little." And then, uh, but it doesn't set up right away that they all have a problem with her baking. But yeah. you know, but it does. It plants that seed, and then it makes it clear. And I think yeah. it's like like the next timeline. Same thing. We don't know what Britta's doing in the bathroom, but we know she was doing something that smells funny. It's funny. And, yeah. yeah. It's not dignified, Abed. <laughs> and then when. I do, like uh, the contrast, though, of her, her getting stoned in the bathroom and Abed meets her at the bathroom door and says, Yeah, like it's, oh, something smells funny. It's like, Abed, you don't say that. It's to a woman. It's not dignified. And then immediately the pizza shows up and she just goes like, pizza, pizza, pizza me so hungry, in my, get in my tummy, in my tummy. Like, I know. It's and so she's like prancing around. It's so ridiculous, like, but it's, but it works though for Britta. Like immediately switching to being super undignified. <laughs> yeah, so nothing too crazy happens in, like I said, in this timeline. It's more just setting it up and it does a decent job setting Yeah stuff up but i guess like what do you think it says without having annie there what do you think it's do you think it exposes anything what the group would be like without her um i mean like uh are there any really i mean like there's her, no one there uh because really her role for most of it is either to like tend to pierce or um she's like the caregiver in a sense which yeah. i mean they say when jeff says like oh you'd be a good nurse in some of the other timelines but i feel like it's not really there as much as when she's gone you know what i mean yeah she i mean she kind of just like keeps the peace a bit more in the dynamic um so there there's less like conflict between uh like pierce and jeff and stuff uh when she's around because at least he ends up distracted uh 
and he like Jeff isn't antagonizing Troy as much um, when yeah. she's around. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, so then I think he rolls a four next, which is Shirley. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. Shirley's the next one to go down, and it's there where they uh, reveal their pact to not enable Shirley's baking. And yes. it's it's kind of funny because it's like they don't want it to consume her because like she thinks it's all she's good for at a moment. Yeah. So, but then it's like, and then you know, Jeff's like, it'll be better for her in the long run. And then Pierce is like, you know who else got it in the long run? <laughs> and then that sets, sets that up. Uh, yeah, and then See, That's Pierce... also fun because like, when you get those jokes told again, it's like you're, you're getting setups without punchlines because you already know what the punchline is. Yeah, but, um, the, but the thing is the setup is different. The punchline's the same, yeah. but the setup's different. But you're almost laughing at how it's set up <laughs> versus the punchline, which um, is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because you kind of get the double joke of, like, of course he's still going to mention it. Like, it, it's funny that he, he finds a way to weasel it in anywhere. But also, yeah, you get the separate, like, setup, so it's a, a like, varied joke. Yeah. And um, this is the first one where Pierce gives Troy the Norwegian troll doll. Yes. <laughs> which Troy is terrified of. It, it's good because it un- underscores Pierce's, like, vindictive qualities as well as yeah. Troy's, like, childishness, right? Of being scared of this troll, yeah. Yeah, and um, um, it's funny because it's like, you know, in the first one, you know, she's he's still like happy housewarming, but they're too distracted by Annie's gun to notice. But yes. now that they didn't find it, he's like, oh, thanks, Pierce. And it's like, whoa! And takes the time to open it immediately, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, yeah, that, that's where, what is it, Shirley comes back with the pizza um, and then yeah. immediately asks, like, oh, did anybody take out my pies? Uh, and obviously everyone else is involved in their own stuff and was not invested in her pies at all. And yeah. she gets clearly upset, runs to the kitchen and finds them burnt. Uh, yeah. I just like it when uh, Jeff's like, it doesn't matter, Shirley. We weren't going to eat them. You're not allowed to have baking things as an identity. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, well, excuse me for being the only married woman here with, with a bunch of horny toes who just make googly eyes at each other. And they're like what are you talking about? And then they all make googly eyes at each other. And then it's like, Pierce is like, nobody makes googly eyes either at me. We're the same. And then Shirley just breaks down. And ends up, I think, leaving. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's funny that, that very much reminds me of, I think like the season one scene where uh, Jeff, they're all sitting in the study room and Jeff brings up like, well, there's no reason for us for, it's like, we are kind of like a family, but there's no reason for us to, not view any of the others as a potential sexual prospect and you get that like silent everybody glancing around the table <laughs> giving these different looks um kind of reminds very me, much I, in the same googly eye vein reminds me of later in uh i think it's in season two when uh and when Andy's like you know all those glancing looks of will they won't they and then they show the time and then jeff's like oh come Never on takes it home the like super yeah. soft it's the, <laughs> yeah and then it's like uh it's like oh come on you could do the same thing with pierce and abed and it just shows a montage of like pierce and abed looking at each other, each other in yeah. random spots with romantic music <laughs> but uh that's yeah it kind of reminded me of and then i think it's with uh uh the next one is pierce gets uh yeah, the gets, pizza gets the yeah. pizza and with here he's like ah crap I'm going down he's like and then the 
him saying crap is like speaking of crap i was taking one when Earth came. <laughs> and i like the way he's like what it's where my mind went, it went your yeah. mind went years ago <laughs> yes yeah. and then that leads into like annie kind of laughs and then she like you know looks at um jeff and makes a kind of hee hee kind of face and then Shirley's yeah. just like Ugh. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Google, now that we know the setup eyes. of like the making googly eyes at each other yeah um, yeah, and she immediately leaves to go check on her pies after they make googly eyes at each other. Yeah, and then, like, Jeff picks on Troy, well, Annie praises Troy, saying, like, ooh, nice place, you're all so grown up now, and then Jeff's like, how many allowances did you have to take? I like how it's set up, because it's like, you know, Jeff, Jeff clearly does have feelings for Annie, even if he doesn't want to admit it. Yeah. And so, like, he's threatened by that, and then that's why he picks on Troy, <laughs> Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, and then it's when Troy hits the uh, the Indiana Jones thing that it runs down, which obviously sets up <laughs> that plays out and when he um, has to go get the pizza. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because that's when Troy leaves to get the pizza is when shit hits the fan. Yeah. I also like it when uh, Troy comes in and she's like, uh, I was smoking a cigarette. And he's like, it's okay. I'm a man. And he just pulls out candy cigarettes. He's like, he's trying to be mature, but he still shows himself to be it's really still super childish. It's like, it's a nice bowl of olives on top of your toilet. It's like, yeah, this is a fancy party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Troy and Britta share a nice, genuine interaction. And even uh, mm-hmm. Jeff and uh, Annie do as well. But with, and even when Shirley comes with the pies, they just kind of, they don't do it in such an abrasive way that hurts her feelings right yeah so it kind of says that like without pierce here everyone finds <laughs> some kind of peace <laughs> it's just, yeah there's there's a little bit less kind of antagonizing going around and they both end up having these like nicer character moments that uh makes them yeah a little less jaded uh come like the 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 time that shirley comes out with her pies and stuff and pierce gets back and whatnot yeah and it's with uh shirley um when Shirley's gone, it kind of shows, like, obviously she has, like, a motherly role in the group, but, like, also in a, the way that a mother would get angry and pissed at all the others who are just kind of selfish and in their own yeah. vein, right? Yeah. And I'll say, like, they keep setting up the pizza guy thing. Like, Annie says, he was super creepy. He, and then he, Pierce yeah. is like, he's, God, they're getting worse and worse. All the good ones are going into porn. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Because um, it's the next one, Britta? She's like, great. I'm going down. Great. I guess it's me. And then that triggers Pierce's Eartha kid. He's like, speaking story of great. somehow. I mean, he's like, speaking of great. Did you know I had sex with Eartha kid? <laughs> he's like, came up organically. It's like, it's the most unorganic yeah, line out of all of them. <laughs> yeah. I think that's also part of the bit is that like, it just comes up less and less naturally as you get the different variations of the joke. It's you clearly see he was just, he wants to brag about it no matter what. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and then it's uh, without uh, without Britta, Roxanne doesn't start playing, but it's this awkward silence where Troy's like, you guys are my best, and then Jeff's like, fuck it, I'm getting a drink, and then it's just, <laughs> it's just sad. Oh. And then, uh, yeah, so Annie and him get to actually look at each, gets to check him out in the bathroom, and it's there where Annie says that, like, yo, I had to apply a tourniquet to a guy who got stabbed outside my... Uh, my apartment and that sets up why she would have a gun have the gun yeah, yeah is that like she lives in a sketchy neighborhood yeah yeah i like when pierce uh pierce sees how fun troy and abed's friendship are that, that they just moved in and then he starts terrorizing troy even like further with holding the out the troll doll <laughs> like, feel the terror troy <laughs> and it, abed's like 
he's jealous because we moved in together. It's like, you're the one who's jealous. Why? You're lonely and crazy. It's like, yeah, you're lonely and old and crazy. <laughs> it's like, that's exactly. And Pierce just has to bring it down because he realizes like, he's no, talking he, about himself. She's like, no, he can't put that on anybody else. <laughs> it's just him. Yeah. And then Britta comes up engaged oh, to, to the, to the pizza guy. I, that one doesn't make as much sense to me. I know there's a running gag that like Britta is just attracted to like terrible men. Of course, yeah. <laughs> but she's, she's very just, self-destructive. Like it just feels so forced, right? Yes, and that's that's yeah. the one part of this episode that I don't really think works all that well. No, I know that's why. Like to me, it works as like a passing bit, which is really what it ends up being in an episode like this in all these different timelines. Like it's. It's also it's not outside the realm of possibility. It just seems a li- like a little out of character, um, to the point where yeah, that, that's I'd say the most jarring part of the episode is when she comes up saying I'm engaged to the pizza guy, and then uh, you get Abed going like I wonder what's happening in the other timelines, and the pizza guy's like there are other timelines. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, just this super stoner pizza guy. Like, Whoa, yeah. there are other timelines. Yeah, with uh, Britta's uh, absence, well, I think it's more like her presence allows for other people to bounce off her forced opinions and her, like, fake enthusiasm. Yeah. Kind of, which uh, they're not, you know, because when she's alone, there's just that awkward <laughs> silence, right? But with her around, she's always going to, she's like a stylist, right? She always has to have an opinion on something or try to make something fun, even though it doesn't. So it kind of leads to a bit of a dearth for them to interact with in a certain sense. <laughs> Yeah. And then it's after that where Jeff rolls the one and it's Troy. Yes. <laughs> Troy runs out and that's when yeah, Troy runs out. He slams the door. He says, I don't want to miss anything. And he's like, with Pierce going, do you know who I used to call miss anything? anything? Oh <laughs> <laughs> that That's that's pretty funny. But yeah. And then he obviously like him slamming the door is what uh, makes the, the ball roll off of the uh, the Indiana Jones model. Yeah, uh, as and, Troy's yeah, kind of rushing out to get back. Yeah, and then it Pierce is like, Jeff, tell us something about your father. I'm gonna get a drink, and then it <laughs> bumps <laughs> bumps his head, and then uh, yeah, and he's like, okay, let me look at it in the bathroom, but without Abed or Troy to help, they can't direct her away. So she slips on the ball and falls over the table. Pierce gets up. He accidentally kicks the the gift box open, which sends the troll flying. <laughs> Out. and then the gun goes off somehow and it's shoots. as the the table flips it falls off the table yeah and then um because yeah shoots pierce in the leg and then the blood squirts and covers shirley and her pies oh yes yeah <laughs> which is and kind then, of pretty ballsy for like this kind of you wouldn't expect it just to see blood just shooting how, how does how do things catch on fire again oh because oh, comes out with her joint <laughs> She comes out hearing all of this ruckus, still holding her joint that she was smoking in the bathroom, and then drops it in the, it's the bottle of scotch that uh, gets dropped on the ground, catches and on fire. Yeah. Like when Annie's like, oh, man, help me stop the bleeding. But he has to fix where, where the Indiana Jones uh, toy Oh, I is. love that bit. Yeah, it's that like, because uh, I think it was Abed went to the bathroom that time, kind of, or went to the other room. He went to go ahead get Britta to the bathroom. Yes, so yeah. He was just he's coming back out. He sees all of this chaos, but just the little Indiana Jones uh, model, like figurine is uh, crooked on the model. So he takes one second, adjusts it so everything's perfect again, and then goes to help, which I love is, is very in character. Even Britta, when she's like, uh, water, water. water. <laughs> and then she's like totally 
half-assedly throwing the water, and then it's when Troy walks in, and the 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 troll doll is just like there in the center of the fire, <laughs> just staring at him. He's like, "You," what? and then he just lets out the biggest scream <laughs> ever. Yeah. yeah, so I guess without Troy, it just seems like it does descend into chaos. It almost seems like he'd be a better. I think the idea is he'd be make a better leader of the group than like Jeff purports to be. Um, what is it? I mean, like I think that uh, a fun comparison is is more like um, Troy ends up leaving the show first, essentially out of the main cast, right? Because I mean, like Donald Glover had to go do other. Well, shit. actually, Pierce did. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, what is it? It's like Troy's leaving the group, kind of thing. Obviously, leaves a hole in the actual show, um, and like a lot of the comedic dynamics that had been built up, uh, like obviously Troy and Abed were a staple. Um, so it kind of left the show reeling a little bit to to find its new footing with the its new like cast. Um, well, Troy is kind of similar to Britta in that he's somebody that very much allows for the other group members to to bounce off of. Yes. Yeah. Of- and he, so, he's just also like a fan favorite too. Yeah. So like without him, for for to bounce their personalities off, and with Abed gone to tending to Britta as well, they can't sort of uh, direct uh, the rest of the group, and that's what yeah. results in the chaos. But also, I mean, like some of it, I think, is just also the nature of the episode, like chaos theory. Like yeah. sometimes shit is just going to go cha- like chaotically wrong, no matter what, um, just because it's possible for all of this to happen so yeah in one timeline this does happen like regardless of who actually left yeah um it just works also more for the story of the episode that troy comes back to all this chaos with the burning troll doll and stuff <laughs> i think it's with that then we get the the last time well the last time second to world, last yeah yeah where abed has to go and then uh <clears throat> Pierce, he's like, Abed's like, I'm on it. And Pierce is like, do you know who else was on it? And do you know who it is? It and, is then, yeah. and then, like, they, they don't even pay attention. He's like, I banged Earth a kid. A kid yeah, <laughs> just yells it out when no one bites. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's where I think it's more Abed leaving is when you see all the characters kind of break out into separate fights. It's less about the chaos that happens. It's more about the actual characters butting heads. Yeah, with Troy, it's just like, the perfect storm of like chaos happening yeah. yeah but with abed it's without him as the guy who can kind of you know has that self-awareness and is aware of like their flaws and what they're driven for and such such and how he can mediate them without that they would just be focused on they would descend into their flaws without appreciation for each other i think that's kind of the idea yeah. And I mean, yes. that's also like uh, Abed is the one that kind of has always tied the group together, even like in the pilot. He's the one that brings everyone together. Like Abed is the one character that is like universally adored amongst the group. Yeah. Um, where they're like uh, even uh, what is it in uh, the the art of discourse where they're like they're looking for the new Pierce in the group kind of thing to yeah. take all the heat from everybody. They're like, oh, what if what if Abed's the new Pierce? And then everybody just looks at him and is like, no, nah, no, it, it can't yeah. be Abed, yeah. So no, he's very much like the glue of the group, and that's where you, you see that as everyone breaks off into their own little fights. Well, I like to hear how, like, you know, uh, when with this timeline, you know, Pierce still is going to give Abed the troll doll, but it's when <clears throat> Troy compliments him and says, like, you know, <clears throat> I kind of look up to you, making it up on your own, just like you did. Yeah. And that's when Pierce is like, uh, maybe you shouldn't open that. Open yeah, this. tries to take it back. Yeah, because it kind of shows like, okay, Pierce does actually want some acceptance and appreciation through 
throughout. And without that, he's he can toil his vindictive qualities, but then it's oh, Troy that just I mean, like, ex- Troy just exacerbates it. <laughs> intentionally. Uh, th- that's like Pierce's thing that he always comes back to. He's like, no one in the group respects me. No one respects me. So the second that like Troy actually shows like r- respect and admiration for him, it's, it's one of those like uh, obviously. Pierce realizes what he's doing is wrong and that he's just trying to antagonize him for no reason um, just because he's bitter. Yeah. Uh, and then it's like, uh, Pierce is like, you shouldn't open this, but Troy wants to anyway. And then it's when the doll just flies out and Troy looks at it. Troy's like, you're a sad, twisted old man. And I hope you die alone. And then, yeah, Lee's angry. Then you also get the, the, uh, the kind of argument between Britta and Shirley. Yeah. Um, <laughs> When Britta comes out of the bathroom having just smoked her joint and smells the fresh baked pies coming out of the oven and is all excited about them and like immediately grabs one uh, and starts eating it and then goes, oh, crap, I wasn't supposed to eat your your food. We had promised not to. And is like, oh, crap, I wasn't supposed to tell you we weren't supposed to eat your pies. And she's like, full disclosure, I'm really high right now. (laughs) And then Shirley obviously is like super outraged like oh she's like yeah she's like i can't believe i'm feeding my pies to a drug addict she's like drug addict you're a pie pusher (laughs) (laughs) well it's like it's silly because like yeah she's just smoking a joint she's not a drug addict no no i know it's it's more her like puritan views obviously yeah what is yeah what does she call her she calls her give me back you godless hippie skank (laughs) yeah something like that yeah it's like that recurring dynamic where surely butts heads with Britta because she's an atheist, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then it's Jeff and Annie actually start making out with each other, but then Annie ruins it by... Uh, or having, they by, go to kiss, and then no, no, I think... No. Or do no, they actually... They, they are kissing, and in, okay, the mid- yeah. in the middle, Annie's like, well, sorry, uh, the thing you said about worrying about me, it just reminded me of my dad a little bit, and Jeff's like, um, make a 101, less dad talk. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> It's it is true. It's like why would she just bring that up? And I mean, in yeah, it's super time. awkward. But I mean, also like she's young uh, and like not the most tactful, obviously, uh, or the most experienced in these situations. So like, it, it makes sense for her to say some awkward shit like this. Yeah. So that yeah, with that, uh, the group is just pretty much just hates each other. Yeah, Abed comes back and everyone's arguing. Yeah, Shirley's yelling at Britta and uh, like Troy is fighting with fighting with Pierce and um, Annie and Jeff aren't talking to each other and stuff. Um, And like comes back and is like barely reading the room and it's like, oh, so we're going to play Yahtzee while everybody's yelling at each other. And then it cuts to like the final one where Abed catches the the die. Yeah, like before it hits the table. Yeah, ensuring that, like, he says, you know, chaos dom- dominates enough of our lives, but we, we should hang on to the things we'll, which are predictable. And uh, it kind of is, it, might, it feels a little obvious and spilling out the theme a little yes, bit. Yeah. But the thing is, it works for Abed being the one to deliver because because of his nature, uh, his but knowledge. He always sees things through a narrative framework. Yeah. So he's going to explain it in that kind of narrative framework. So, yeah, it's going to be very direct. My pro- my also problem the other thing I have is that it kind of feels like something the episode's building towards which it does but it feels yeah. like but the characters have only just been there for a few seconds in this timeline yes <laughs> so it kind of feels like he says it like after they've already experienced the other timelines as if they themselves have had it you know what I mean like I guess to a certain extent it's more yeah it's in that order for the audience right all of these yeah. different timelines. 
Um, but it, it's still very much in Abed's character to kind of give that little monologue. And uh, I, I don't know, I feel like it doesn't feel too out of place as far as uh, them just showing up and, and him choosing to say that kind of thing because of also, like, Abed immediately states, like, oh, you realize you're creating different timelines kind of thing. And of course I am. And that's constantly repeated. So, like, uh, for him to choose to do that right after still kind of makes sense. Um, A little bit. I'm just saying, like, the... The way the the speech is handled, yeah. it just seems like something like after they've all gone through an experience together, that's that's kind of what I mean. And it's like they have yeah. for the, but like you said, it's more for the audience than it is the characters there. That's but, what, and I, I feel like uh, a bit of a tangent. I, th- I just think that that's something that the show does uh, like often enough. Um, yeah. Is it'll often sacrifice realism for the sake of storytelling. Sure, that and that's fine, but it's just yeah. like it's just something to maybe to point out there. Um, and so, then, yeah. yeah, that's where Abed gives his reveal after his little speech that Jeff devised a system in which he would never <laughs> have to go get pizza because there's yeah. seven of them and six sides to the die. So obviously the whole gr- group turns on Jeff being like, oh, that was tricky. Like, yeah, you, you have to go get the pizza now. We caught you in your little game. Yep. And uh, um, when, he, when he goes out, they all dance to Roxanne. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, you get the, the repeat of Britta starting to sing Roxanne, but now without Jeff to shut her down. Every like all the other girls join in, and then everybody just kind of starts singing and dancing. Even Pierce throws away the the troll present. Yeah, yeah, and the like before even introducing it at all, just kind of throws it in the trash. Yeah, and uh, even and, Annie's yeah. like, "I really love your place," and then Abed's like, "Oh, you should move here." You know, it's because she's in the bad neighborhood, and of course, as we know, she does end up moving in with them. So yeah, um, so, and which when becomes, Jeff uh, very fun is like the kind of prime timeline, if you will. And then when Jeff comes up and they're all dancing and singing along, he's just like, see what happens when I leave you alone, guys. Oh, yeah. And it, I think it's more, it's not that the group can't funk is happy without Jeff. It's just that Jeff, because he's such a guarded person who always views things with this glib detach- attachment. He's always the one who points out the flaws of people. And without him there to mediate those flaws that they, they can enjoy those more peaceful moments. And having yeah. like fun moments, I think it, right? it's more just yeah, like all of the characters are a little less restrained, like, um, and like they're they're not kind of uh, they can be a little more honest with each other. I think yeah, like not filtering themselves as much, uh, almost like filtering their actions and because uh, they they yeah. And I also like even too though when Jeff Jeff does kind of smile at them as they're doing so it shows he does oh, appreciate it shows he does appreciate them all even not in a moment like this, right? So. And that's the thing, is that, like, um, a, a lot of it is just from Jeff's guarded nature that kind of bleeds out into um, him forcing others to be a little bit more guarded themselves um, because he's guarded and critical and stuff. Um, but you can also, like, the the show always, re- like, returns to Jeff's kind of underlying humanity. Yeah. Um, and that's what you see, too. Like, he's he's happy to see them all having fun at the end. Um, despite being a little critical, like, ah, see what, what happens when I leave you guys alone? Like, you, you just break out into embarrassing song and dance. And then it's the the epilogue where we see the dark timeline, the one where Troy had to go get the pizza. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we see uh, Shirley has lapsed back. Yeah, they've all regressed in some ways. Shirley has lapsed back into her alcoholism. Pierce died. Annie has lapsed back into her mental problems. Troy is now even more childlike because it turns out he tried to eat the troll doll and it, <laughs> and it fucked up I, his I do love the joke that he makes, though. Is that Clearly, like, uh, you know nothing about defeating trolls. Troll 
rolls. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, yeah, Troy, for some reason, tried to eat the flaming troll. Uh, <laughs> clearly, you know nothing about defeating trolls. Yeah, and it's oh. at that point where Abed makes the decision that they become the evil study group so that they can return to the prime timeline and reclaim their happier lives. Which, like, is also him kind of reverting into more, like, um, like trope-heavy kind of storytelling frameworks uh, yeah. that he's used to. Um, but yeah, I think, and that's the, that becomes the end of, yeah, that's the end tag of the show is the, the darkest timeline. Um, and it's fun. You get the, some of those darkest timelines revisited in other episodes. And that's why I think it becomes so iconic is that like, uh, it already was a very popular episode and it's one that's kind of revisited conceptually. Um, and you also see like even the, the darkest timeline episodes, the end card for that one is it shows, like, what would have happened in the other timelines. So not the darkest timeline, but the other times that Jeff rolled the die when everyone else went to go get pizza. It shows, like, uh, Britta and uh, the, the pizza, pizza guy. guy together. Yeah, and, and different stuff like that. So, no, it's it's definitely a, a fun episode for fans, especially it's rewarding if you've seen all the episodes and stuff because you get a little bit more of that, like, continuity. I think that takes care of the, the our three positive ones. Yeah. And yeah, I think like you said at the top, like the 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 other ones are probably gonna be faster to go through just because the reason that they're some of the worst ones is just there's less memorable moments, not as many kind of They're not as dense with humor or with character yeah. or references. So yeah, our first one was from season one, episode twenty two, which is called The Art of Discourse. Which yeah, we've already referenced a couple times. I think the the main premise is that uh, Troy is, or sorry, yeah, Abed is trying to, like, do all of the things on his uh, quintessential, like, first year of community college experience list kind of thing. Yeah, they're um, all the they're all the cliches. All of the cliches that he's seen in TV and movies and stuff. Uh, so, obviously, one of them being uh, pantsing someone and getting pantsed. So, that's where, yeah, you have him pants uh, Troy. Troy pants him back. Everybody laughs. But then Pierce being, obviously, like... I, I don't know, being Pierce and not realizing, like, I, I don't know how to put it, like, that he, he's he, not... he thinks He thinks it's, like, all uh, a joke when he realize they don't realize they're finding it funny because Abed is actively en- enacting these cliches as yeah. part of himself, but he thinks it's just funny as a thing in general because so, to do yeah, to anybody. Yeah. It kind of plays into a lot of, like, his juvenile jokes, like, all everything's a penis joke or a... A, a boobs joke there it's 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 kind of like that 12 year old humor yeah um of yeah, yeah just pantsing someone is funny so that's where pierce as shirley walks in um decides to like uh, shirley asking like oh what's everybody laughing about pierce comes up behind her and says this and pantses her in front of the entire group and obviously the entire group seeing how this very different pantsing shirley who's like an adult woman uh, who was not in on this joke is not uh, the same as Troy and Abed, a bunch of like 18 year old boys choosing to pants each other. Yeah. That's where the Shirley and the group kind of end up turning on Pierce, like Shirley finally deciding that his actions are, are finally hit like a threshold of being inexcusable uh, and kind of gives a bit of an ultimatum to kick him out of the group. Yeah. Until they realize they need to have him in the group, or for as that, like you said, that lightning rod for them to absorb the their negativity, and yeah, because he's somebody who can actually take it. The other plot of this episode is that Jeff and Britta are being made fun of by these snooty high school students <laughs> who are taking 
uh, college credits in advance and are mocking them as calling them schmitties, which is their slang for losers, I guess. I mean, like, Ace, uh, there are some, some good bits in this. Uh, I actually do really like the schmitty joke, just because, like, especially from a more, like, removed uh, adult perspective, like, you look at the way that um, language evolves and how kids come up with new slang and stuff, and, like, even as we're going to grow older, you're going to find yourself more detached from that language. And it's just going to sound like someone's calling you a schmitty. Like, it's, um, there's always some weird made-up word that's either an insult or a reference to something or whatever. The thing um, that, my problem, though, is that I feel like it never gets beyond the childish aspect of it. And oh, I know no, for it's, sure. And I know that it's, like, it almost seems like that might be pointless because it's, like, high school kids making these jokes and stuff. Yeah. But it's but it's like you could have them like attack Jeff and Britta or, or Jeff and Britta go at them in ways that isn't so childish. And I know that at the end that's part of the point. But I was it gonna could say be, yeah, that's it kind could of be the a point, little. It could be a foil of them. But it could be a lot more clever than how they deal with it. Oh, that's for sure. I mean. uh, than like yelling "duh" at each other a bunch. Uh. Yeah, which which got really grating. And again, I know that they're supposed to be grating. But the thing is, is that like they're supposed to be these like really bright high school students who are also assholes. You think they'd be a little more clever than just the "duh" thing, which is like a five year old. Sure. <laughs> that's like five year old humor. Yeah, no, that, and that's where yes, it, like. These these kids are six like the the characters are successfully shitheads. Like when I watch it, yeah, I want to smack them, but it just it doesn't make for the most pleasant watching experience. No, having or to even listen the most, to them be shitheads, or even the most funny either. Yeah, because like you said, it's not the most original. The whole point is that they're excessively juvenile because it's kind of to bring it back around that like it brings out how childish um, both Britta and Jeff actually are, especially because of, like, their characters and how they were a little more stunted from their upbringings. I think that's the weakest part of or the episode, though. I will say the Pierce and Shirley part is yeah. decent because, like, there I think... There are some the, better character moments there, yeah. The cringe humor actually does work when he sits on the ben uh, on bench with the other black that. woman. That... <laughs> That is so cringy, but it totally, totally works. Though. Oh yeah, and it tracks for his character too. Like, it's also like a really tactful way of making a, a joke about like, because obviously that's such a common joke. Like people will acknowledge like, oh, all such and such people look like each other, or like he is, especially when it's a community that you're underexposed to. Um, like, people who are very ignorant can have made these mistakes in the past, so it's become, like, a point of comedy in different scenarios. Um, but I, I just think the idea of, like, him going to apologize and sitting beside the wrong person on the wrong bench uh, just because it's another black woman uh, is, is quite funny. But with, even the payoff is decent when Pierce admits that he, he actually does respect Shirley, right? Yeah, in a, in a way, because like you know, she's a she's a mother raising children, and you know, and is still going to college to try to better her life and everything, which is you know more at, which he says sees is more admirable in his in his uh, eyes than anyone else. Because also, like Piers is, despite being childish, is the most adult person there. Technically, he's been adult an adult for the longest, so like he admires Shirley obviously for being a much more successful adult than him. Um, yeah. In her capabilities but, and of managing a family, having one, going to school. 
but they also kind of bond over the fact that, like, you know, you're raising a family, which is more than they do. But, you know, Shirley's also a Christian, right? And it's yeah. like the, those traditional kind of values that they both kind of have in spite of some of their other qualities. They are able to kind of see eye to eye a little bit. Yeah. Which I like. It's a, it's a decent way of solving it in a sense. And it's also fun, like, the, their resolution becomes, like, it, it's not the classic, like, Pierce apologizes and the group gets back together, which would no. normally happen in a sitcom. Pierce is kind of meant to be a little bit more uh, like stubborn and irredeemable than that. He refuses to acknowledge that what he did is wrong by piercing Shirley because to him it it wasn't. And even then, like even in this within this apology and acknowledgement that like he respects Shirley the most, he's still like, man, what I didn't do was wrong. Like, and what I did wasn't wrong. And Shirley's like, you're a piece of shit. Like, <laughs> is still upset with him and sees yeah. him as, yeah, still very like hard headed and jaded, but yes. I can it, at least come to, yeah, like more, be more eye to eye, come to a bit more of an understanding to the point where they're not like creating ultimatums. Like it's, it's either him or me. I find there's an interesting juxtaposition when you look at the, the group, you know, like, uh, Jeff and Britta are like, you know, in their thirties. Right. And then like, Troy and Annie and Abed are around the same age. And then Shirley and yeah. Pierce are all, are the older ones. It's sort of like their reflections. Like you say, like Pierce and Shirley are kind of Jeff and Britta have the potential to become Annie and Troy are like Jeff and Britta when they were, you know, they probably see their younger selves in them when they were more bright and things were more ahead of them. And yeah. And then Abed is like that mediator, right. Who can stand aside from the rest, but still, I, I also think that that's something that I really like about this show is as far as sitcoms go, you have that diversity in the cast that they're not, it's not like friends where they're all just the same age kind of living together in the same place in their lives. Um, like, and the, the, just like the differences. And it's not just that family dynamic that you'll get to in a lot of sitcoms where it's like, Oh yeah, you have some like older people, some younger people, some people like in their mid lives, um, but there is that kind of like uh, that family relationship there. So it creates a completely different dynamic. This is completely devoid of that. You get these different age groups all inter interacting uh, and like not kind of being bogged down by all of those, uh, the, the parent like relationship or stuff like that. Um, so I just, I don't know. I think that's an, like a big upside to the show. Yeah, for sure. And the, like in something like Friends, like at least it makes sense that they're all together that they're all around the same age, right? Because they're people who like it's like social circles, right? But with community, it is just like people at at a college, and there's a lot of diverse people at college from various yeah. ages, right? So it, it works, and the diversity isn't forced, you know. No, for sure, it, it feels really natural. Um, but yeah, it's just there's there's not much going on in this episode. I'm looking at like the plot synopsis compared to the the first three that we talked about. Yeah, the first three were each almost like half a page. This one's three lines. <laughs> I guess like there's just uh, not much that goes on in this episode outside yeah, of that. I guess like yeah, well, Jeff tries to sleep with one of those kids' moms, right? So, yes, yeah. And then that just leads into the big duh battle, um, yeah, which then leads into a pie fight. Well, yeah, that that kind of feeds into the the B plot of like Troy and Abed checking off sure. all of like these like super kind of uh college movie comedy experiences that you see in movie and tvs and then it cuts into that whole like outro series especially the sequence where like it's you get like those freeze frames where it says like where everyone is in their lives 
Yeah. I think that that ends up being a fun bit. Um, yeah. Where it's like some of them grow up to be very like just the high school. I don't know group. specifically what that's referencing. No, it's I just, feel it's like just, it's been it's, done before several times. It's just a standard cliche. Yeah. It, when you're wrapping something up like that, it's like, oh, yeah, such and such went on to do this and this and this. Um, Troy, yeah, at the end, Troy and Abed are discussing porno names as the out. <laughs> Like, that one's not my favorite end tag either. Yeah. No, it's well because it just kind of come. It itself doesn't feel tied into much other than them looking for a bit. So. Yeah, which I mean, like that's not like um that's one thing is that like I don't feel the need to have the end tags always be related. Um, yeah. Because you get that in like Rick and Morty, another one of Dan Harmon's shows, um, where there's all of the the post credit scenes in that too. Um, and some of them are related bits, like in this show, where it's, yeah, it directly ties into the episode. Some of them are just, like, it's a standalone comedic idea that obviously they came up with in the writer's room that they wanted to throw in somehow. Um, and it's just, in, in comedy, that's fun, because you're going to think of jokes that you can't tie into a story a lot of the time. Um, but that's just not the the best joke on its own. The whole, like, uh, e- even their method for, I mean, like, coming up with their porn names. It's their favorite drink and their the street that they were born on. Oh. Um, which, I mean, like, that's such a, your porn name joke kind of thing. is such an ongoing thing. There's so many variations of it. Yeah. As far as, like, oh, yeah, it's your, your favorite color and your, uh, I don't know, like, you to put them together and you get your porn name. I just feel it's not the most uh, unique one. Uh, and it, also the resulting names are not that funny. Yeah, yeah, I guess at the end, this just episode, it's just underwhelming. It's not awful. Exactly. It's, it's, it's not just, horrible. And like we're saying, it has some good character moments between like uh, Pierce and Shirley. Uh, and there are some good bits for sure. The show is still funny, but it's just not the most substantial episode. Yeah. So I guess we can move on to economics of marine biology yeah so we're we're finally in the fourth season this all the other things were uh season three or earlier yeah the the gas leak year which dan Harmon was not around (laughs) um yeah the the next two episodes we're talking about are season four which is kind of uh season five and six make fun of season four uh pretty like they're pretty self-aware about it because, I mean, yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, that's the one year, like, the one season of the show that Dan Harmon wasn't working on the show um, as a creator. Three plots in this episode. One is Dean, who I guess hasn't played a big role in any of the episodes thus far, but the Dean is a uh, fun... I mean, come season four, the Dean is more than a recurring character. No, 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 I meant in the episodes we've talked about. Oh, yes, yes, for sure. Yeah, yeah. we haven't talked about a lot about Dean Hilton. Yeah, but uh, he's a fun character. He's a fun character. Oh he's yeah, probably- I love Jim Rash. That's- yeah, he's probably the most nat out of all the actors. He might be the most naturally funny, just to- just as a performer. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. I-, I one thing I don't. He's always an eccentric character right from the beginning. Though he gets like there's that trope of flanderization where he gets to the point where he's just so campy with all his outfits and his yes. flamboyantness that it can get a little obnoxious at but times. That's to the- the the show almost realizes that and i think is it at the beginning of season three where he decides like i'm gonna be serious now yeah um and, and like he's like i've gotten rid of the outfits and I, i'm taking this seriously because like they they obviously have like it got very formulaic with him always coming in with a weird outfit and like saying some stuff and bothering the group with some exposition but like yeah as the show goes on they they at least take the time to evolve the character past that 
Yeah, well, um, I remember there's one in this episode. They definitely do. He's much more involved in the actual story. Yeah, I remember there's in one when he, in terms of the self awareness, he walks in and is like, he has hair on half of his head and a dress and a suit. <laughs> and he's duality, like the duality, duality dean of man. And then later he comes in. He's like, I think I may have gone too far with this oh, one, guys. <laughs> The duality dean of man. I have to yep. go to the bank today. <laughs> How am I supposed to explain to the people at the bank I had good news and bad news? <laughs> yeah, I feel like oh. we're talking about things that are not related to this episode. <laughs> right yeah. But uh, yeah, so I guess the, the three plots in this episode, Dean, the dean wants, there's a, I think he's like a rich kid, who's, but he's like an idiot stoner yeah like just graduated high school after like seven years in high school yeah. um yeah his father's super rich so they want to kind of catch that white whale to get him so he's going to greendale for several years yeah. uh talking about how the last whale that they caught was pierce who <laughs> by the end of the show has gone to greendale for 14 years yeah, so they want the new one, and because they know Pierce will get jealous, Jeff distracts him by go- them going together to a, a barber. And then, yes, yeah. And then there's another one where Shirley and Troy enroll in physical education education. Yes. <laughs> which is a funny idea. Yeah. I definitely think. And I think that one has some funny bits, like, and Shirley reveals herself to be, like, the natural authoritarian <laughs> yeah because she has some of the i mean like she she is like uh i don't know a christian mother and like is a more stern person when she wants to be kind of thing and can really put her foot down um so she clearly thrives uh in like this pee class um where she has to like manage students kind of thing who are very unruly um and the the whole flip being that like troy who thought he was going to do very well in physical education uh, ends up floundering the most because he's not assertive as a character. Yeah. He's very, despite being like a jock who played like sports and stuff, as a personality, he's very soft. Yes. And I do love the scene of like uh, when they have the mock locker room um, and <laughs> all of the, the like uh, students from the acting department playing uh, like middle school kids kind of thing in the locker room. And Troy's just going around like yelling, like "Stop doing that!" And is like, uh, because I mean, I, I absolutely love Donald Glover um, in scenes like that. I like his voice is just a lot, very expressive kind of thing uh, as he's like freaking out and like going all high pitched and like getting upset uh, at all of these students going getting like unruly. To be honest, I'm trying to remember what else is in this ep- episode. That's the thing is, there's honest. there's really not. Uh, so there is actually one bit that I really like from this episode that I think stands out so much better than the rest. So, um, as the dean is trying to recruit uh, this kid, um, Archie, into the school, they're they're going around the school, and the whole idea is like they're worried that he's going to go to city college instead. So they're trying to like make the school seem a lot cooler than it is pretending that, like, Sean White is a professor. Uh, he tells the girls to go make a, a mountain, like, a Mountain Dew cool zone. All of these different things that this guy's going to be into. And that's where, like, uh, Archie just kind of is, is going around the school feeling more and more entitled as the school kind of bends to his will. Um, and that's where, what is it, Magnitude comes in with his classic pop-pop line. Yeah. After all, like partying, and that's where Archie decides, like, she's, I, she's gonna steal I want it. that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I want that to be my saying. 
Um, and as the Dean has just been giving him everything he wants, the, the Dean decides, like, Magnitude, you're never to say pop pop again. Uh, and Magnitude's like, no pop pop. Uh, okay, the bit is funny when he goes in. when they, The next the day room. when they find Magnitude in the study room. And he's just coming up with all these phrases on the chalkboard. I, I pulled up the picture because, yeah, he's in the study room with, like, a chalkboard. Um, <laughs> and with all of, like, the different sayings that he's trying to come up with. Like, things to replace Pop Pop. Um, like, they're so ridiculous. One's like, not in my backyard. And some of them are just, like, sound effects. Like, a shree Oh, like, it's, like, random shit. You got, like, <laughs> one is just free heat, exclamation point. Uh, you got served. Did I do that? And then beside it, did I do that? Did I do that? Like, three times. <laughs> um, they're all <laughs> step thing, into yeah. the freezer. Like, the, the, yeah, some like, of them are did, just real bad. Like, did I do that? That's a reference to Urkel. Oh, Urkel. Fa- yeah, yeah, that's why. Yeah. But it's, but it's he not had just to there once. It. It's there, like, three times in a row. Oh, no, it's Schneep. <laughs> are you feeling it? It's just, yeah, the, the whole board is, like, covered with these lines. And Magnitude is just, like spent trying to come up with this this new catchphrase and that's when the dean and annie kind of realize like oh no what have we done we've changed greendale too much we're getting rid of the things that make greendale quintessentially greendale and essentially yeah that's where the dean confronts archie and is like we're not going to change the school for you this school is kind of shitty and this school is magnitude saying pop pop uh (laughs) not you and that's yeah. where, yeah, the Archie ends up being like, oh, yeah, everybody tells me, like, to give me what I want because my dad's loaded. And I kind of just want to go somewhere where I'm like everybody else. And kind of, well, can't be ending. Uh, it's, not, it's not campy. It's I don't know. It's, campy's it not the yourself. <laughs> that, but that's not, it's, there's a difference between being sentimental and being campy. It's not the same thing. <laughs> I mean, I get yeah. Campy is like is like exaggerated, ridiculous things. It's not necessarily sentimental, but anyway, um, yeah, I guess like the story with Jeff and Pierce doesn't uh, really go much. I guess like yeah, there's like a bit of a character moment between them kind of thing. Uh, yeah, Jeff goes to the barber shop with Pierce and ends up quite enjoying himself despite dreading having to distract Pierce. Well, don't uh, they find be- something to connect over just their enjoyment of uh, relaxing at the barber shop? As well as uh, their relationship with their fathers, too, yes, a little bit, yeah. right? Yeah. And then uh, there's they bond over that joke where, like, it's like, if you like uh, the barbershop so much, why don't you gay marry it? Gay marry it, it. Yeah. Which isn't that funny. It's not funny, that's but that's – the whole point is it's not a funny joke. That's Yeah, but they themselves think it's funny, though. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the show is self-aware about the fact that it's not a funny joke. If Pierce is saying it um, – but I, I think mean, like, other than that, there's yeah, I don't think too much more that goes on. Um, no, it's it's mediocre. It's yeah, it's just forgettable mostly. Yeah, then we can talk about our last episode, which is intro to felt surrogacy. Which yeah, is the the hand puppet episode. Yeah, which is uh, the that's what we were talking about earlier. Um, is that th- this is the first season without Dan Harmon, and they're they're clearly trying to like build on what the show has already established, kind of thing, um, and like write stories that are within the same style, within the same vein. Uh, but this is kind of one of the episodes where they miss the mark of what was good about a previous episode and what they're trying to recreate. 
Yeah, um, I mean, just try to compare it to Abed's uncontrollable Christmas. Exactly, Flanders. It's, like, because the, in this, this okay, just to give a thing. The yeah, setup is, get into the episode, explain it. The setup is that the group is all really awkward with each other. They're they're together, but they're not in speaking terms. So the dean comes in dressed in, in a what Pinocchio. is it? Yeah, Pinocchio, the Dinocchio. Dinocchio. Uh, yep, and uh, he uh, makes yeah he gives them all uh, hand puppets to help them work out their issue. And we find and through them as hand puppets, they find that getting bored once they went on an adventure in a hot air balloon and got stuck in a forest where they while they were all high on berries, they all ended up revealing their worst secrets to each other however none of them it turns out none of them actually remember the others but they all think it's what they did themselves that they all yeah. revealed it the, the idea and they all did like, but they all revered, like were high and revealed their secrets and thought that everybody knew everybody's secrets uh, but everybody kind of just knew that they had revealed their own secret but didn't remember anyone else's shit um so they're all kind of awkward for the wrong reasons um yeah and it's basically just that it's just another case of where it's like oh well we accept our flaws and then we're back to normal like there doesn't they don't really reach anything new in this episode like with abed's christmas where there are stakes both in the fantasy and in reality because abed could get kicked out of school there's emotional yeah. stakes with his mother as well as like they come to the conclusion of what christmas means to them in this the setup is just okay let's do another medium but for the characters it's just a kind of tired old thing that they've done better in earlier episodes where their flaws come to apparent, but then they realize they need to be with each other as friends in this group without flaws and all. Just, yeah. What is it? The aspect of taking uh, like a concept like puppet therapy, which is very much like uh, a real thing, but not uh, the most like highly regarded form of therapy. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's pretty as a juvenile primitive oh for sure um, but it's it's kind of just there to create some form of detachment from what you're talking about too and sure stuff. and yeah, it's no. like a detachment and distracting like a when you put um, something in a childlike perspective you can yeah. kind of you don't have to take it so seriously at the moment um it's it's fun taking that idea and running with it all of them sitting around the table doing puppet therapy cutting into um portrayals of them actually go what all like everything that they're describing um is like uh what is it when it cuts to the actual like visual uh representation of them going on this hot air balloon uh and like ending up in the woods and getting high and stuff it's all just the the puppets that are doing this kind of thing so you have kind of more in an animated sense all of like the, the just their puppets going and getting onto this balloon very sing-songy kind of thing like falling more into that animation style it's yeah it's a fun exploration of a different medium uh because it's another chance for them to kind of do just voiceover work while it's more like uh kind of animated set designy stuff uh but it's just it doesn't do it nearly as well as something like Abed's Christmas just because there's less actual, like you said, stakes, substance to the episode. The Dean gets some of the funnier bits, like how he just oh, so sure. he just so happened to uh, have all the puppets made. Already. Yes. He takes something off Jeff's puppet hand, and he's like, oh, uh, this isn't at all a whip. Yes, it is definitely not a whip. <laughs> like, clearly he, yeah, is using these puppets for himself for some, yeah, kind of uh, creepy... Sexual-esque escapades <laughs> yeah for his own kind of yeah uh, imagination at home and stuff 
That's another thing that gets exaggerated throughout the show, his crush on Jeff. I mean, like, it's... I, it, gets, I, it gets to a point where it's like he sees Jeff in a, in a suit, and then he's, like, paralyzed by his shadow. Oh, no, no, <laughs> it's uh, when, when Jeff ends up on antidepressants, um, yep. and, he, and Jeff decides that he has the confidence to wear aviators... <laughs> Oh, so he's in the hallway, uh, hallway wearing these aviators, and yeah, that's where like, I, of course, that's a super exaggerated bit. Um, like even his shadow looks cool. Oh, and he's like convulsing. It's funny at the end when he's all d- disappointed. He's like, "I get everything, and I have to clean everything up." And then he looks over and he sees Jeff's puppet just like lifting weights <laughs> on the couch, looking at him. <laughs> oh yeah, um, that's I I did hear though that like. This was a fun episode for the cast. Okay. Um, because like there there are set pictures of all the cast with their handmade puppets. Like these these are uh, I don't know I I am a fan too because I like animation. Uh, I find like puppetry interesting, especially like when it comes to uh, like all the uh, Sesame Street puppets and stuff. They're very like intricately made, and the actual like production of it is fascinating because it's i don't know it's just very different from other mediums and yeah it's it relies more on like stuff like set design which i love uh and like the actual puppet designs um so stuff like that can definitely just be fun um but just because an episode is fun doesn't necessarily mean it's that good and that's why i think i just like this episode because it's fun for me not necessarily because it's a great episode yeah, no, that's understandable. Just other things, like the way they go in the hot air balloon. I know it's like because like they just need something else, but I hate the song they sing. Let's have an adventure, the sun, and I know. It's so generic. anywhere up in the sky. Yeah. It's just so generic. Like, yeah, of course. And um, that's my problem. Like, it feels, that's what I mean when you can tell Dan Harmon's not there because it's just like, let's try a bit. And they do it in without any design for like, how the story is structured and how it should play off the characters. It's just, we'll do the bits and they do that. And they do it in a fairly generic ass way, at least with the song. Which is the, that's what we're saying is like the big distinguisher between uh, this kind of form breaking episode um, is that it just doesn't really tie into the story. It doesn't say anything special. It's just a special episode because it's a different medium. I guess, yeah, they go into, they crash in the woods where they meet Jason Alexander, who's, uh, you know, the mountain man, the oh, former yes, graduate. Yeah, yeah. Of, Jason Alexander was George Costanza on Seinfeld. Oh, so. yes, okay, I can see that now, yeah. And he's great, but not in this. He doesn't have much really to do. He's just no, like, oh. he doesn't do anything in this. Episode. He's just like, oh, hey, guys, I used to be from Greendale. And now here's have some magic berries. Yeah. <laughs> And then even the hallucinogenic effects on the berries are just really cliche and both in device and as an execution. For sure. Yeah, they do. I think make because they're singing a song as they start to trip. There's like a single one liner that's a a little more self-aware about the fact that like it's just like uh, a very simplistic like, oh, we're starting to hallucinate. Things are getting wobbly, kind of relying on like some of those uh I don't know, more simple, like, visual cues that you'd use in a visual medium to show uh, that people are starting to trip. Um, yeah, I know there's a self-awareness, but it doesn't always excuse it. Oh, though. no, of course not. Because it doesn't um, do anything else interesting with that self-awareness. Exactly. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't think there's um, much else. 
<laughs> Britta's secret being that she's never actually voted. Voted. And then there's the whole thing about, like, uh, what is it? It's like, you guys don't respect me. Like, everybody's going around the table like, oh, so you don't think I'm a bad mother? It's like, oh, so you don't think I'm gross for, like, cheating in school and stuff? It's like, oh, so you guys don't respect me less as a political yeah. activist? And the and whole all... table goes quiet. <laughs> yeah. To get that bit kind of works. But uh, just <laughs> shitting on Bretta like they always yeah, do. Yeah, Jeff just manages to go, like, Let's just say that the amount to which we respect you as a political activist has not changed because none of <laughs> already none of them respected her. Yeah, one of the things like oh, everyone at the table is like, well put. That's very well put. <laughs> well, Aunt, yeah, Annie licked Malcolm McDowell, their teacher for that season's uh, toes. Oh, was also um, to get quite relevant a. to what we were talking about. Pierce's secret. Oh, he, he, he never actually sex. banged Eartha Kitt. <laughs> He just dry humped her, oh, in her inside bus. her tour bus. Yeah, <laughs> the way he sings it too, I admit, is pretty funny. Actually, and it's like so... Troy's secret is pretty on point for his character. The idea that he burnt an ant hill and it caused the fire, it caused a huge fire that burnt down fifty five acres or something. <laughs> like he, he was just fucking around burning an ant hill and he caught Greendale on fire. <laughs> Just because this episode is more musical, like I, I love any musical aspect of episodes or when TV shows do musical episodes where like half the episode is sung or stuff like that. Um, it's it's more just like, like I said before, it's a fun aspect of because those are just things that I like in TV, um, but it just doesn't do much with it. But yeah, the, Dean Pelton definitely is, has the best lines, I think, in this episode. And gets a little bit more love, which is nice. My favorite speaking of music, I like the opening of season three. Is when uh, you know the uh, we're all gonna we're gonna finally be fine. <laughs> Remember that? Oh, th- like um, like we're gonna fly to school each morning. Oh we're yeah, gonna smile the entire time. We're gonna finally be fine. That one's not my favorite, actually. Really? That one's the one I find funny because it's a meta thing. <laughs> Yes, I mean, it's it's very much like uh, deconstructing all of the the show's tropes and stuff. And no, not only that, but like the NBC told Dan Harmon to make the show less weird. Oh, okay. And, it, and that, that was his response, was putting that musical number in, saying, we're going to be normal and That's funny. sweet. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I'll, I'll remember that the next time I see it then, yeah. But yeah, I don't think there's much else for that episode. Uh, no. No, and that's the thing. It's like there's not much to get like super angry about with these episodes. It's just like they're underwhelming. That, yeah, that's the thing. It's like so. It, I guess that speaks on the whole to community as a show. Is that like it has really good highs as a as a modern sitcom? Yeah, it's very pretty inventive, very unique, quite ambitious, and it's for the form it's going in. And you know, sometimes there are those filler episodes that just don't hit but there's a general with the cast and you know just even with the writing even when it's not the strongest it's never going to be definitely a base quality to the show it's never going to be like insulting in yeah badness. so there's not much to really get rowdy about which maybe makes this less exciting to talk I, about. i feel like the you only get that more in kind of sitcom-y stuff where uh they can be like a little bit more heavy-handed with the message and the message might not be like the best one, so people can get a little bit more riled, like riled up about it. Um, yeah, or like if when something doesn't age well, or but like that's usually not what the show is going for ever. No, um, it's it's like when Family Guy does things where it's like you know, 
murdering a homeless guy with a Hummer for your problems is, is a fine thing. Or, you know, Meg, even though they all treat you like shit, you have to be treated like shit because it te- keeps everyone together. Like it has like messages like that that suck. Yeah. And the episodes themselves just aren't funny. So it just is like it having a bad message upon just not being funny at all just feels extra insulting. No, for sure. Yeah, I guess that that kind of wraps up our little discussion. Our, our three episodes, yeah, the the three good and the three bad. Um, I mean, yeah, if there's any other like outstanding, uh, either um, specific episodes in your recent rewatch that might have stood out that weren't like kind of uh, runner ups, if you will, um, that 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 almost could have made the cut, you could say. Yes, yeah, there there were a few that we had talked about. If we want to just like briefly mention them, we don't have to go fully into the episode, but more for people who know the show uh yeah so the ones i have here for the good episodes are um i would say are like contemporary i'd say contemporary american poultry yeah i see you liking that one i mean that was playing pretty heavily on uh martin scorsese yeah uh, gangster stuff so that's one i would like i like mixology certification where oh, yeah. uh, modern warfare which was i think just the first paintball episode yep mixology certification is the one where they all go to the bar for troy's 21st birthday it's not a huge concept that, episode yeah that's actually not one of my favorite episodes surprisingly it's a uh, it's not a concept episode but it's just a really it's a good like type episode that focuses on their character quirks and relationships yeah. and i think it does it pretty well so I think it's more like uh, aspects like Britta and Jeff's constant bickering and like having to deal with Shirley's shame and stuff aren't like my favorite parts of the episode. Um, yeah, I guess that's some of my one runners up there. Yeah. And I mean, some of the other like kind of least favorite ones. Oh, yeah. I voted for basic RV repair in Palmistry, the, the season six episode. Where oh, the, yeah. Like kind of. Uh, there's all of like the meta jokes about like Abed's making about like flashing back to this and flashing back to that. Um, and they don't always land that much. Uh, and the rest of it is just them driving around in an RV uh, trying to like return this, this giant rubber fist that the Dean bought. <laughs> um, honestly, I think the, the best bit in that episode is uh, what's his face there. The actor who guest stars in it. Keith uh, David. Who's, like the guy trying to buy the fist. It's not Keith. No, he's around earlier. Yeah, I forget who. I can look it up if yeah, yeah, there's any other ones that you thought were uh, not just, the, like the the runner ups for kind of the the bad episodes, if you will. No, that you pretty much said that that's the only other one that would really runner up as bad to me. The other ones that would be called bad are mostly just unmemorable generally for me. Besser, Matt Beezer. I guess. Yeah. Um, he he's yeah a comedy actor that. Uh, I, I mean, I've definitely seen in other stuff. Uh, it's more, I, I've seen him at, like, guest star in other TV comedy shows. Like, he was in uh, uh, Crazy Ira and the Douche with Nick Kroll um, in uh, Parks and Recreation. Yeah. He was Crazy Ira. Um, he, I'm sure he's in other stuff there, just not off the top of my head. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but, so. yeah, that's, uh, that pretty much wraps it up, I think, for... Yeah, community. We said all our, I think we we can say about the show as a whole and these specific episodes. So yeah. So, yeah, but so I mean, uh, overall opinion, it's definitely uh, highly recommended for anyone who hasn't seen it. Uh, especially, I feel like the first couple seasons. If you're if you don't if you're not looking for a full six seasons of a show to get into, 
I'd say the first three seasons are yeah are some yeah. of the best. Pretty gold. Yeah, this is the Interzone Asylum podcast. Signing off. Ooh.